0: You've got to wake the fuck up. Excuse the fuck out of me. Oh, I'm sorry. Fucking <laughs> Nick Alexander waking up in sunny fucking California after I drove all the way from fucking Charles, Jeffersonville, Charleston. I don't give a fuck where I just drove from. It was across the river from Louisville, North Carolina. Louisville, North Carolina. I mean, Kentucky. I am fucking burnt as fuck. Is that like Paris, Texas? No, exactly. Yeah, just like Nashville, Italy. I am fucking out of my mind right now. I don't give to be a fuck if we're starting a cold over. We're starting it fucking now. We've hit record. We've pushed it. We're fucking doing it We're not wasting any fucking minutes. I am punchy as fuck. I can barely stand that Mike is here. Like, I was so excited. And then I saw Mike and I immediately got depressed right away. So no offense to you. Any other fucking day. person. I Any other person. Any other fucking day. I'd be fucking happy. Right now, I'm fucking nuts right now. I have traveled every single day for a fucking week. I'm fucking done. I'm going to be so angry and irate, which is perfect for episode number two recording. But episode number one is on Chris Cannon who I wanted to just give a big hug to because I just need a loving individual just to hold me right now (laughs) because I am fucking out of my mind right now I just got back from $5 wrestling running a show there which I would have made money on if I was a fucking scumbag be a piece of shit if I was being a piece of shit I would have made some money but instead I lost 50 bucks on running a show and then after coming off of weekend we're open for Hacksaw Jim Duggan on top of don't fucking say that word (laughs) those are are Hacksaw's punchlines because he didn't make anybody (laughs) laugh until he did that he didn't do, it. he didn't get any crowd reaction until he did that. Like you could stand on a microphone and say words and say it's comedy, but that's basically what he did. <laughs> I did comedy. They looked at me like I was stupid, yeah. and then we just got through about the day. It was so bad that like everybody left the comedy zone. It was like me and a doorman was left. The manager, waitresses, they're like, "Yeah, we're not even picking up the checks." Like that's how fucking bad the show was. Oh, then that's I
1: was, sad. Th-
0: that's off coming off of get- only getting two hours of sleep after wrestling for Northeast Wrestling, after wrestling for Wrestling for Revolver, after opening up for. Bill Baronki in Blacksburg, Virginia for bonkers and Nick, you know how you love fucking bonkers. Uh, (laughs) You know how comedian
1: you just said sounds like a made up comedian, but I'm sure it's real.
0: Bill Baronki,
1: that's an alias. Yeah, that's
0: for sure an alias for that dude. For sure, (laughs) and he he looked like George Carlin compared to hacksaw Jim Duggan. So you can let me know how my fucking week's been. I'm going to try and stay as positive as possible for this wonderful human being we're going to talk about in this episode. Next episode though, no holds barred, my friend, and and that motherfucker should have been an no holds bar, he but should have. he should have been. He probably
1: was, but got cut out. Probably did. And yeah. I just want to point out how much smarter I am than Nick, because I only got three hours of sleep last night, but I wasn't going to bring it up because I knew what
0: would happen. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, Nick, come on now. I'm sweating uh, profusely <laughs> right now. I'm sweating like Lex Luger in a shooter interview right now.
2: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Tim Bell Pod. I'm Nick. I'm joined by Bong Jun ho Supermark, Micah J. Lovick. Bong Joon-ho uh, and Parasite for the Oscars just
1: update on some of my predictions. I think I missed most of my predictions, but I made $600 profit betting on the Oscars, so I'm counting that fucking shit as a win. Uh, that was one of the best gambling nights of my life. Fucking A. Alright, we gotta do next predictions. I couldn't think of anything good, so I'm saying uh, Bernie continues his momentum and wins Super Tuesday by the time this episode comes out, or yeah. Bloomberg takes the lead and we just, you know, fucking who cares anymore.
0: I respect uh, my Michael uh, Bloomberg. And everything uh, he has done for this country. You do? But at the same time, too, I want to see the transcripts on the things that he said to those New York Wall Street people. I There's no transcripts of me because I don't talk to those people.
2: Doing the, the Larry David doing Bernie Sanders impression. I had uh, Coco Beware of Always Being Prepared. The okay. Johnny B. Good of gathering firewood. But <laughs> but with your temperament, I'm going to go the Steve Carino of being Mino. The Mad <laughs> Scout Jake Manning. <laughs> Doesn't really have anything to do with Boy Scouts or anything, but who
0: fucking cares? It's just Jake. <laughs> Listen, the military industrial complex, they come to me. They <gasps> said, well, we'll put you out like JFK. I was like, go ahead. I'm closer to the end than the beginning, my friend. <laughs>
2: Today, we are covering a man who trained Dennis Rodman, David Arquette, and Jay Leno. He was Glacier's nemesis and DDP's good friend. Today, we're talking about Chris Canyon.
1: Chris Canyon, a.k.a. Mortis, a.k.a. the greatest mass wrestler ever in the history of WCW Saturday Night. Uh, let's 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 <laughs> rattle him off. He defeated Laparka, Super Klow, who's apparently a thing on Twitter. What the fuck? No, Klow's
0: fucking awesome. We still got masks of him, and we actually probably have ri- uh, ring gear uh, that he wore. That Michael? No, I think we sold that. I, I, I put a Twitter post about that. <laughs> well, good.
1: Hoventude, uh, Volano's four and five. What happened to one and three? Who knows? And finally, Psychosis. All got flatlined like the bitches they are for the best mass wrestler there is.
2: All right, before we get started, let's give a little love to our main sources, aside from watching matches, Googling articles, or just knowing stuff if you're Jake. The majority of this episode comes from two places, Chris's RF shoot, RF video, the most interrupted yet unedited shoot interviews Fuck in the industry off. today. <laughs> <laughs> Come on.
0: Fuck off. Fuck off. You you want an impersonation of Rob Feinstein? Huh. Huh. Anyways, on. my next question to you is That's spot on Like somebody oh, can no. give this big soliloquy and this wonderful statement All of a sudden goes, so what are your thoughts on Backyard wrestling? Like somebody can make this big overarching thing That ties the entire shooter interview up And he goes, you got any good Mr. Fuji rips? Like And just like fucking <laughs> and, and ruins then they, And they don't and like have to think they go, uh, alright Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah Huh, huh, huh
2: All right, our other source, we also have the book by Chris Canyon and journalist Ryan Clark called Wrestling Reality, The Life and Mind of Chris Canyon, Wrestling's Gay Superstar, a book that was finished before Chris's death and published November 1st, 2011, which is after. I recommend reading it. If you have it, it's very good. Yep. All right, Christopher Morgan Kluxaritz was born January 4th, 1970 in Sunnyside, Queens, New York. Canyon was always an athlete growing up playing roller hockey, basketball, and baseball at school. But from a young age, Chris had a deep, dark secret, something he dare not share with anyone. Chris Canyon was a pro wrestling fan. He, uh, he first fell in love with the sport, watching it with his dad, becoming a huge fan of Flair, Savage, Roddy, and uh, also a big mark for High Chief Peter Mayavia. Yeah. <clears throat> He realized he
1: wanted to do wrestling when he saw Hogan beat Dire in Cheek for the Belt Live, but then he knew he wanted to be good at wrestling when he saw Flair Steamboat at the Meadowlands.
0: But I like <laughs> in his interview, this is this is how much of a sweetheart Chris Canyon is. Oh, he so is, man. He, he was just like, but that's not a knock on Hogan. Yeah, he totally like, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, Chris, if you... Trust me, a few years after this interview's done, <laughs> it's wide open on shitting on Hogan, okay? On all <laughs> levels. Like you can make fun of Hogan for anything now. Like it, I mean, you can beat the fuck out of him. So like, but just still he's like, no disrespect to yeah. Hogan. Like I just, Hogan did what he did and he's great at it and he's great at it, but which is just such a tenor of, of who Chris is. He's like, "Oh, I don't want I don't mean I want to be, be fair and just too nice, too nice." <laughs>
2: So after he decided he wanted to be a pro wrestler, life for him was nothing but reading the wrestling magazines, doing backyard wrestling way before that term was coined and uh hitting up every live event he possibly could. We already mentioned Hogan versus Sheik to win the title, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, a, lo- a Live Flair versus Steamboat which Jesus he also went to WrestleMania 4, and later that night, he snuck into the arena and stole a turnbuckle pad, the one that Macho Man jumped off of.
1: What? I missed that. Holy uh, shit.
2: He was also at MSG when Snooka jumped off the cage onto Backlund, and I think literally every wrestler says they were there. Jake, were you there?
0: Yes, I was there. I was actually... If you <laughs> if you look at the video in slow motion, I'm just behind Mick Foley. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: Foley was there, too. You yeah. were the bald guy behind... Yeah, I was yeah, the bald guy. But yeah. Born bald. Born bald. <laughs> Born
0: bald. That's just... <laughs> Poor Jake. Yeah. Born bald, stay bald. (laughs) Just bald all day, every day.
2: Hey, it's sexy. From an early age, Chris also knew he was part of what AJ Styles would call the gay community. The
0: gay community. The gay community. The gay community. Chris. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. He might call it worse. I I feel like somebody's turning on their fandom of AJ Styles. Uh,
2: (laughs) It's going to be a slow turn and then, bam, diamond cutter out of nowhere. Chris Canyon Cutter out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) The real OG. Thank
0: you, Mike. You're back on my good side now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So Chris first had a crush on a kid in his neighborhood then a different kid at a camp he went to. Chris, pardon the pun, would wrestle with his feelings for the rest of his life and honestly wouldn't find acceptance and happiness with his sexuality until his mid-30s. I also have a, a Fox News version of this. Chris chose to be gay because Barack Hussein Obama tricked him into hating Jesus.
0: Come on, keep yeah. going. This, and, is, and, like and, this and, is like jazz. This is like jazz. Just riff. And of course, Chris turned down the promise of ever eternal life and joy in heaven because he decided to be gay because he wanted to love somebody.
1: Yeah. It's free. It's free. Fuck off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. Now I want to see you watch the Missy Hyatt shoot. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Now, we've covered straight wrestlers, and we didn't stop every five minutes to let you know how Andre the Giant got his dick wet. But Chris's sexuality and his struggle with it is almost its own character when it comes to the story of Chris Canyon. Like Throughout his life and career, the highs and lows, he lived in constant fear of a secret getting out, fearful of the reaction of his peers, his employers, his family and friends if he did something as drastic as just being himself. Chris attended Archbishop Molly High School in New York. Chris would reach his adult height of 6'4 by the time he was a junior. He'd also get into working out, knowing that he'd have to look the part if he planned on making it in wrestling. At 18, Chris was ready to go to wrestling school, but his parents were against it, threatening to cut him off if he didn't go to college. So Chris went on to the University of Buffalo, where he played rugby and graduated with a bachelor's degree in physical therapy in 1992. While in college, Chris continued to explore his sexuality, keeping it everything on the DL, even dating and hooking up with some girls as to leave no suspicions on the table, something he continued to do throughout his wrestling career and like many young gay men who are struggling with it he also admitted
1: to being a total obvious homophobe in college just to convince everyone that
0: nah man i'm not gay i'm not gay my heart goes out to anybody that was gay during his generation jesus like it's just like it just that's why it just enrages me but there's still especially from evangelicals like oh, it's, it's they're going to hell and it's like just shut the fuck up like it's it's the most ridiculous mm-hmm. It, 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 it's it, it's the thing that makes me the most mad at, yeah. in the world is when you use religion and, and put that on people and it's you mean to tell me the book that I read about loving individuals and caring for individuals and finding people that are pushed off to the side true empathy and then pulling them closer together because everybody on the fringes should be closer together because when you leave people on the fringes bad things happen and you know Chris talks a lot about his his mental struggles my roommate who I shared this house with he had mental issues too and i feel like it stemmed from him not coming to grips with his sexuality and it my heart always went out for him and i tried to make it very clear to him that if he would just declare who he is and how he feels sexually it's okay i'm your friend You're you're still my roommate you're still my friend you're still my one of my best friends but he, you know, struggled with this and fought with this. And I, I think it, it, it caused a lot of mental strain with him and, and drove him little, literally crazy. And, wow. made, and it caused him to make a lot of bad decisions in life, much like we'll see, you know, Chris discusses him, himself. That, that You know, it literally drives you crazy when you have to push down who you actually are as opposed to just being who you are and living life to the fullest and feeling love in the umpteenth degree. And for you to say that somebody like that deserves to go to hell, you are the worst fucking human being on the entire fucking planet
2: a fucking man paddling just a bit during christmas break 1991 chris's uncle bought him a bunch of signed pictures of pro wrestlers from a local radio dj that dj happened to be interviewing cactus jack as well as the human personification of a clogged public restroom toilet who we'll get into later right <laughs> uh-huh so the Radio DJ invited Chris's uncle to come meet him and obviously pick up all the pictures he bought. Chris tagged along. While they were waiting in the, uh, I guess, waiting room, there was a wrestler there who worked for Herb Abrams. They started talking about how to buy a wrestling ring, as Highspots.com, who do not sponsor us, didn't exist yet. That conversation led to how Chris would end up walking into Pete McKay Gonzalez's wrestling school on the Lower East Side in New York City for the very first time. Jake, you know Pete?
0: I've I've heard the name thrown around a couple of times. I know very little about the New York City indie scene, but mm. in Chris's interview from a rival company that doesn't make wrestling rings, he talks about the like politics existing in the indie circuit of New York City, and I think that still kind of exists right now, and that's something that I'm completely foreign to, but of course they're foreign to all of the politics in the North Carolina and South Carolina area. Every area has their own little politics. Yeah, of course, they have their own man. little cliques, like, oh, I was trained over here, this guy trained me here. And, oh, you and, trained there? Ugh. Yeah, and they all <laughs> Have like a reputation and a name and yeah. this and much like chicago like oh you're a sonny rogers guy yeah i'm a sonny rogers guy oh no i was over here with these guys over here somebody says up. i was
1: trained by so and so and there's an immediate list of what you think and know about
2: them yes, basically yeah.
0: basically yeah. yeah and i think pete was one of those guys as well I've, I've heard the name battered around a couple of times
2: when chris met with pete about buying the ring at pete's wrestling school pete invited chris into the ring and since chris knew some stuff From his years of practicing with friends, he was impressive enough to get invited back to work out, and that's how Chris Canyon would formally get into pro wrestling. Pete not only didn't charge him for wrestling school, he'd also get Canyon his first match ever. Pete called Chris up while still a senior in college and asked him to be his tag team partner for a match on April 5, 1992 in Levittown, New York at the Island Trees Junior High School. Chris accepted, borrowed some trunks from Pete, wrestled barefoot since he didn't have boots, and also decided on the name Chris Canyon. However, when he made his way out in front of the crowd of 300, they announced him as Chris Morgan for some reason. That reminds me of the first time I ever emceed at a club, and they brought me out as Nick Anderson, shooting guard (laughs) for the Orlando Magic in the 90s.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow, Nick Anderson missing four crucial free throws in some playoff game that I don't remember the exact context, but I will never forget Nick just blowing for mm, Terrible.
0: And then, of course, they had you uh, announce Horace Grant coming out next. <laughs>
2: Goggles for life. Yep. Since Chris's match was an elimination tag match, he actually got left out there by himself after Pete got eliminated. To make things even more difficult, basically everyone in the building spoke Spanish but Chris, so he couldn't even communicate with the other dude he was wrestling. So Chris just went with it, worked the best he could, and he even got to uh, win. He got the pin. After graduating college, Chris took a job as a traveling physical therapist with his company, letting him relocate pretty much as much as he wanted. Perfect for an up-and-coming wrestler who wanted to keep his day job.
1: And he got all his expenses paid and everything, man. It sounded like the best gig in the world. Making, he said, he was making like sixty-five grand.
0: Yeah, and see, like. I try and tell all my students this all the time. Like, get a job that you can work that allows you to do pro wrestling. They're out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of them are service industry jobs because if you give up the weekend stuff, like, everybody wants weekend hours. Right. But you can still make a decent amount of money during the week. But everybody who waits stables want Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah, right. So therefore, you those Fridays and Saturdays, you can be off wrestling and then do service industry jobs. But like if you can get a nice, sweet job like Chris or a nice, sweet job like HighSpots.com uh, that has allowed me to be here, even though they don't sponsor the podcast and it makes Nick very mad, but they allowed me to be here. And, uh, Mike, they allowed you to be they, here. They allowed me to be here. Trust me. Trust, it is Michael Bakiko feels like he owns me 24-7 and he's allowing me to be here. There's a reason why my Michael Bakiko impersonation is the same as most people's Vince McMahon impersonations. They are the same fucking person, just varying degrees of success.
2: Chris first moved to Columbia, South Carolina, and he picked South Carolina because that put him in the middle of the wrestling world with easy drives to Atlanta, Charlotte, and Tennessee.
0: Well, also, too, you're, like, halfway up and down the East Coast, so if he needs to go back to New York, it's the equal amount of distance to Tampa, Florida. Also, too, you kind of got a gateway into the Midwest a little bit from South Carolina. Chicago is probably 12 hours, 10 hours, Mm -hmm. which is about as how far away New York is. That's pretty much why I landed in Charlotte. It's, like right in the middle of the East Coast. And I always told all the best indie shows are on the East Coast. So if you put myself right in the middle of the East Coast, the drives are about as equal. Like if I lived in Florida, it'd be miserable because I'd have to go all the way up to New York and all the way back. But being right in Charlotte, I'm halfway between. And then also too, Knoxville is just as close as Raleigh, North Carolina is. So it's a good spot. It's It's a good idea. Chris had
2: a plan for how to break in down south. He cold called some South Carolinians who had written in to the Wrestling Observer. He landed on a guy named Jeff Wilson. They set up a meeting, and Jeff brought a friend along. Jeff thought Chris was just a mark, but after watching some tape, Jeff's friend saw some real potential, and that's how Chris landed his satanic alcoholic manager, Jim Mitchell. Jim helped Chris navigate the treacherous, carny world of pro wrestling, the scammers, the liars, and worst of all, the fabulous moolah. Jim would get Chris into Mula's school, but since he was a guy, he had some training, and he had Jim in his corner, Chris didn't seem to have the usual Moolah experience. He was able to train and even get booked on a handful of shows without her literally ruining his life. Kenyon eventually moved to Florence, South Carolina to take a new job, and he thought that would be the end of him and Jim Mitchell, as this was the 90s when you only communicated by Raven. But after a short s- separation, <laughs> Jim reached out to Chris and offered him a chance to work for a new outlaw promoter who was running mud shows out of a school gym, Jim Cornette, <laughs> and his cosplay promotion, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Canyon
1: didn't do too much in Smoky Mountain. Uh, had some job matches against the Heavenly Bodies with Cornette yelling at him. Brian Lee squashed him with Sonny. They had that great gimmick where at the beginning of the show, they... Picked a name out of a hat to beat the champ, and he uh, he he got two of those. He lost to the dirty white boy and Tim Horner, which uh, his Tim Horner match is really good, uh, good quick mat wrestling, and that one's definitely worth watching. And I just Jake, can we go back to the days when you just pick a name out of a hat to get a feud
0: going? You obviously didn't pay attention to my John Skyler feud, which that <laughs> no, started with. That started by pulling a name out of a hat. <laughs>
1: Are there like eight pieces of paper And all your name are on them Or is there just one name in there And it's yours It's just one It's it's
0: that random (laughs) Sometimes if it's that random It's that random But then also too Like there's been times where like I've seen people work it Or set things up Like I've even seen people work uh, Bucket spots on open mics
2: Yeah same
0: (laughs) Yeah I'm tearing down the walls of every industry right now. I feel like Eddie Mansfield right now. Let me show you guys how you blade on a comedy stage. <laughs> this is how you hook up a Sennheiser microphone. This is how you put a microphone back in a stand. No! Secrets revealed! Secrets revealed!
2: So while in Smoky Mountain, Chris actually won Jim Cornette over by the way he sold a DDT against, I think, the Heavenly Bodies. He basically yeah. spiked his head Matt first, uh, making the move look absolutely brutal, yet keeping himself completely safe. Well, he talked about how, uh,
0: or
1: Jake, you can probably jump in, how he would, uh, he goes down, but right at the end, he puts his hands on the mat, but then he
0: takes him away, and then he kind of headstands real quick. Which is kind of standard now, like everybody does uh, now. Yeah. That's, that's that's something that I, like the first time I saw Canyon on, on TV, I mean, I'm getting a little bit of a head on, on things, but this is a good time to talk about it. Canyon, he was like the first guy that I ever saw on TV do like indie stuff yeah like now like you turn on aew and they're they're doing stuff that you're gonna see at an indie show and even like now WWE now they got more indie guys you're seeing stuff you see on an indie show where when Canyon was around in in the late 90s they're like oh man this is like even before i even knew what indies were (laughs) like i was like oh that's what that that looks like indie stuff that i've heard about before (laughs) right like he he was doing stuff like that and so it's it's not surprising that something like that that's standard now Cannon was doing in the early 90s and and of course jim Cornette loved it you know because indie stuff because you know how much he (laughs) loves that
2: the main reason chris and jim mitchell were in smoky mountain wrestling is the financier of smoky mountain wrestling rick rubin from columbia records he wanted a mummy wrestler and since he had the money he got a mummy wrestler and this was a real mummy from egypt and didn't do super kicks motherfucker Jim would uh, be the mouthpiece of the mummy, and they needed someone to wrestle the mummy, and that was Chris Canyon's job, and it, it didn't go great. The dude could barely move because he was so like wrapped in mummy stuff, but Chris just did his best, tried to make the matches look good, and honestly, he kept saying that he had to hold back laughing while he was in the <laughs> ring.
1: I mean, most people would probably uh, know the Yeti from WCW and can imagine how bad it was.
0: Listen, there was, like, a mummy in Memphis, or there was, like, Frankenstein. Like all, They yeah. they had, like, Hollywood monsters wrestle Jerry the King Lawler in Memphis <laughs> wrestling. So if you're he, like, oh, Rick Ruben, so, like, out there and come up. No, Jerry the King Lawler did this, like, a decade or two earlier.
2: Eventually, the mummy gimmick ran its course, and Jim Mitchell got fired. And even though Cornette believed in Chris, he was out the door with Jim.
0: Have either of you guys met Jim Mitchell before or been in his presence? I have not. I
1: watched his shoot way back in the day, but that's as personal as I've gotten with him.
0: Motherfucker smells like brimstone. What is brimstone smell like I don't like exactly? know what it is, but, what it, <laughs> but whatever I smell when that motherfucker walks in the room, <laughs> brimstone. It, that's brimstone. <laughs> Nicest individual to ever meet. I think he hosts karaoke, but smells like fucking brimstone. I don't know what, what he puts in his... That's fucking brimstone saw him walk over to me and walk past, and I wafted whatever was coming off of him. I go, oh, that's brimstone. I've never smelled brimstone before, but I just assume that's brimstone.
2: After getting canned, Chris wanted another change of scenery, so he moved to Connecticut. Mentally, Chris wasn't doing good. Smoky Mountain was a real wrestling promotion, and being that close to living his dream just to get future endeavored wasn't great. Chris sunk into a deep depression and actually quit wrestling. He couldn't even like watch it on TV, which sounds like me in Atlanta was stand-up, Jake five years ago in pro wrestling, or Micah on a day of the week.
1: Oh, dude, you were supposed to bring up us in poker. How'd you miss oh,
2: that? Oh, God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Chris would be lured back into the business. He made regular trips from Connecticut back home to New York, having to pass by the WWF headquarters to do so driving by the physical representation of his goal in life reignited his drive and he later moved to allentown pennsylvania where he joined the wild samoans wrestling school
0: yeah and that's a funny thing about the wwe headquarters it's right off of like 95 and you drive by there quite a bit especially if you're doing a lot of shows in the northeast because it's right there you see it and it's right on top of a hill you can see it from
1: 95
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's like right on top of a hill you see that flag waving and there's really traffic so you're not going that fast so you (laughs) get to see it for a very long time i was on a trip with somebody Uh, i can't remember who it was but when we drove by it they basically quoted that line from star wars where they're in the bar it goes you'll never find a more uh place full of tyranny and uh, <laughs> yeah. the most eisley well, cantina quote yeah, yeah whatever that quote I is i can't remember exactly but, i can't yeah. remember what it is but somebody
1: a, a villainy and scummery or something yes, yeah. somebody
0: said that right as we drove by and I go, <laughs> that is the most brilliant thing i've ever heard before in my entire life
2: it was at the samoan school Chris would meet lifelong friend Billy Kidman, who at the time was just a young 19-year-old Billy Kid boy. A big benefit for working out of office school was his relationship with the WWF. In late 94, Chris made several appearances working as a WWF job guy, facing the likes such as my boy, 123Kid, your boy, Diesel, Tatanka, Owen Hart, and Micah's boy, Quang. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, I really tried to find the Quang jobber match, but I just couldn't do it.
2: Let's talk about the word jobber for just a second, because Chris Canyon was a grade A job guy. The patriarchy on the internet treats job like it's some bad four letter word, but jobber means you're going out night after night, you're you're making your company new stars. You're basically the offensive lineman of pro wrestling.
0: Well and also too, like chris talks about this like he would like show personality in some of these matches and they would encourage like enhancement guys that are out there like hey show a little personality a little cocky uh, or something do something to make you stand out a little bit maybe they'll see something in you and i remember when i was coming in for like enhancement stuff or like just extra talent actually is what it's called extra talent like ken anderson would always say like you know show some personality 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 that's He goes, that's how I got my job is I showed a little personality doing job matches. And they're like, oh, maybe we can do something with this guy as opposed to just a guy that gets beat up. They're like, come up with something that has a little bit of personality to it. So a lot of these enhancement guys are coming in and they're eventually going to get jobs with the company. And Chris was talking about guys like the Hardy Boys and and a multitude of other guys that he was interacting I think what Steve Carino would probably be also doing jobs at about this time, mm. and, and a, a multitude of other guys that are now working for the company in multiple capacities.
1: And one of the most touching moments in all of Canyon's feud is when he talks about when he, uh, I think his first jobber match was against Nash, and after the match, Nash is in the back and he screams like... It was Alpha, the guy who got him in. is like, you brought in a good one, Alpha. And it was just, Kanan's such a good storyteller in the shoot, which needs to be singled out. But it was one of the most touching, like, nash really put him over and really gave respect to what canyon was supposed to do out there and he succeeded big time
0: especially he did it in front of everybody so yeah. everybody could see it and right. everybody know and so he could so nash a top guy could put a stamp on yeah this guy right here like hey we should be using this guy a lot more and that's why fucking kevin Nash is my boy <laughs> <laughs> and another thing about chris being like an enhancement talent job guy he never grew out of that george south main research component of this show when i reached out to him and sent him a text message oh, you got any uh chris canyon stories and george immediately texted back oh i love chris canyon <laughs> now canyon was spelled wrong but still nonetheless <laughs> love was in front of that canyon Talk- with a c
1: or chris with a k
0: uh canyon with a c <laughs> <laughs> so george told me that uh, when canyon actually became like a somebody a, a regular tv character in wcw he would still change with like all the job guys and enhancement talent. and Doug Dillinger walked, walked over to Canyon and goes, why are you dressing with all the job guys? And Canyon was like, cause I'm still one of the job guys. <laughs> I can't change my colors, man, which is, which is funny. Cause that's something I do. In locker rooms, like when I when I'm like asking, like, "Hey, uh, uh, where's the locker room at?" Like, oh, there's there's over there, and there's two of them you can space out. And then I'm like, "Oh, there's two of them." And I and they're like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "All right, well, which one's the job guy locker room? I want that one." So, (laughs) and it was so funny is like this this past weekend. Normally, the area where I change at is kind of like the job guy locker room. It's where all the refs change and all the other guys. But just turns out me and the other guy who's normally a job guy, we were the main event. So it was like all of a sudden now the job guy locker room is the main event locker room.
2: (laughs) Chris would also take his now blossoming resume to ECW, where he'd also help put over their main roster.
1: Canyon just basically had some hardcore TV matches. Uh, he was tag team fodder for Cactus Jack, Mikey Whipwreck versus Public Enemy Feud. One of the best moments is Canyon mocking Cactus, doing a bang, bang, finger guns. Sadly, that's uh, some of the best stuff. Um, the only other standout is this is when they were putting over 9 big time and Canyon got chokeslam the shit out of his pants and
2: that's for canyons it, not much in ecw while working in wwf chris met jeff jarrett double j recommended canyon go down to memphis where he could get an actual push and that's exactly what chris did memphis was a full-time making towns four or five matches a week territory which meant chris had to quit his day job like we mentioned before a day job making 70 grand a year But that December, Chris gave his notice because he was officially about to go all in on chasing his dream. February of 96, he'd go down to Memphis, joined by his new pal, Billy Kidman, and they'd form a hockey-based tag team called Power Play.
1: And uh, I uh, try to do deep dive research on all this. I couldn't find a single Canyon match from Memphis. Found a publicity shot of him and Kidman holding a Stanley cup with two hockey sticks. And my favorite uh, part of this is apparently Canyon wore hockey gloves to the ring, but then he didn't do any actual hockey-based moves. So, <laughs> fuck
2: it. <laughs> they were paid $160 pop quiz guys a match a week or LOL Memphis pays people per week. Yeah. That's from 70 grand a year to $160. Yeah. I mean, if that doesn't show how much he
1: loved pro wrestling, I mean, you're just dumb.
2: (laughs) So from Chris's physical therapy jobs, he had like a nice savings, but he wanted to pay his dues and you can't exactly do that from a Hilton. So Chris adjusted his lifestyle to his new income, eating whatever he could and slumming it in crappy motels with Kidman.
0: So basically me in about five years when I give up on this wrestling dream and I start oh, uh, focusing on the oh, comedy oh, dream oh, and, I, and I buy a oh, van and I become an Uber driver oh, in LA and oh, like Nick oh, and Spencer won't even let me sleep on their couch oh, and, oh, <laughs> and I live like Dave Stone and I'm like oh, sleeping in my van and oh, then I'm Ubering at night. Oh, and. Oh, <laughs> hoping that i i find some woman to take care of me in la <laughs>
1: canyons depressing enough at the end jake we don't need your depressing shit
0: fuck that's gonna be me at 43 like that's basically my life I'm starting over again despite the
2: pay chris felt it was a good learning experience especially learning from jerry the king Lowler, but that experience would end when uswa who was already bringing in wwf guys struck up a deal with wcw who sent eight wrestlers down to Memphis, which took eight spots, leaving Kidman and Canyon out. Billy went home, but Chris headed to Atlanta because he wanted to join the WCW power plant. First, he'd drive down to Florida for a WCW taping, and after weaseling his way backstage, he got an invite, which turned into a job. He'd once again start out as a job guy, but WCW would soon become the place that would give Chris a career it was at the power plant that chris met and became friends with diamond dallas page and page would kind of help guide canyon's career and ddp talks about how one of the main reasons they became friends because
1: ddp would talk about how you see guys in the power plant when they're starting off and then they kind of make it and then they disappear but ddp like canyon coming up training learning and then he would stay in there. He would stay in the power plant. He would continue to want to learn. He thirsted for the knowledge in the business, and that's how they really bonded. It was because they both just wanted to get good at this fucking
0: art form. Yeah, they probably walked in, so I was just like, bro, you're so awesome. <laughs> bro, th- this workout's been killing me. Bro, you can't tell me how it is. Bro, how you living, bro? What, what are you going to do after this, bro? See, the thing is, you don't know who I'm impersonating no, each it. time. You have no, no idea. You know.
2: Being DDP's pal wasn't all roses. Dallas was a Bischoff guy, and some of the wrestlers didn't like that, especially Booker and known murderer Kevin Sullivan. Kevin was a wrestler, obviously, and he hated being told what to do by the suits. So if it was a Bischoff angle or you were a Bischoff guy, Sullivan was going to be out to get you. Chris would start getting steady work in WCW and would even kind of wrestle his first pay-per-view match July 16th, 95, at Bash at the Beach versus Johnny B. Bad. Hold it,
0: on. Is it Johnny B. Bad? It is, it is. Are you
2: sure? I'm very Because sure. I looked at
0: the Wikipedia. Colonel
2: Parker. No. Or uh, Sergeant
1: Robinson. Or Sergeant please.
0: Craig fucking Pittman puts yeah. some goddamn <laughs> respect <laughs> on Sergeant Craig fucking Pittman.
1: You know, if you would have combined everything I said, I would have come up with that.
0: That, mother... <laughs> that motherfucker fought in Valley Tudo. He will fucking drive oh, up was here. He? Yeah, he's, he's got will... a sure dog record. Oh, he, yeah, he will beat the <laughs> fuck out you. All right, you put some goddamn respect on his. Yeah, name. That, I, I and saw he'll that... do it with a fucking smile, too, a big fucking <laughs> smile. It'll whoop your ass like I just kick your fucking ass, motherfucker. That psychopath
1: shit. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's the Wikipedia thing that gets it wrong. I don't know why. Yeah, I why... tried.
0: I tried to look it up. As I tried to find video of it and see because it was great.
1: on the main event. It was like their pre-show before they would do it. I found this. I found all the tour. I found a private torrent site. It has all the WCW main events throughout the entire '90s decade, and it missed three months. And guess which fucking three months that included. Yeah. And uh, even you can on YouTube. There's the. There was three matches that night, and I think Animal had a match, and that's on there. It's 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 just it, it fucking pissed me off because, like you don't get to see this see, match, I, I've
0: I've seen the animal match with Mark Starr. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that right. one, but I had but I that's why I went tried to do I did more research on trying to make sure that Johnny B. Bad wrestled Chris <laughs> Cannon <laughs> on Bash of the Beach ninety five than he did the entire Canyon episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh one of the another one of the best most touching moments in the shoot, man, is he uh, after the match it's only two quick minutes, apparently sells his ass off, looks great, and then Heenan apparently comes out of whatever i guess type of gorilla position he had and he hunts down canyon finds him and he points at him and he says you're gonna be something in this business and he then walks away and canyon breaks down crying and it, the way canyon tells
2: is another one that just like oh
1: man he loved this business and it fucking hurts and it's
2: mm. that would have been the end of the episode for me i would have died right there <laughs> yeah, like, right. I would have been like probably he didn't just said good job I'm, I'm good yeah i'm peak so, after several months of Chris crushing it, he sat down with Bischoff to work out an actual contract. From there, he was given a gimmick and a tag team partner, Mark Starr, as part of Men at Work, two construction workers turned wrestlers. There's two
1: really good matches, uh, WCW Saturday Night, against American Males. American Males. That, that theme song haunts me forever. Us.
0: American Males, you gotta say it three times. <laughs> say it two,
1: they'll show up. <laughs> Fucking Beetlejuice. But Canyon of Men in Work has a worldwide match against Brad fucking Armstrong. Fucking
0: right he does.
1: <laughs> One of the, the, the best ways that Canyon used his gimmick at the beginning of the Brad Armstrong match, he brings out his tape measure because he's a construction worker. He measures Brad's forehead and then he punches him in the forehead after he measures the correct spot to punch him. <laughs> fucking, fucking fantastic.
0: Might have been Brad Armstrong's idea. <laughs> it might have been. Like, if you want to know what fucking heaven is, is those two wrestling a sixteen minute Broadway. Right. Like, I don't know. like the whatever's going on in heaven right now, it's that. Those two (laughs) wrestling each other, so you and evangelicals enjoy fucking hell. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You you ain't getting something as glorious as that.
2: (laughs) The tag team hit a rough patch when Mark Starr got injured. They replaced him with Mike Tenner, Chris said that Mike was a fine wrestler, but he didn't quite take the gimmick seriously. I mean, the guy didn't even know the difference between a joist and an I-beam, am I right? (laughs) What a dumbass.
0: You don't know what a fucking flying buttress is, bro?
2: (laughs) Frustrated, Chris commiserated in DDP, who just happened to know that Bischoff was brainstorming some new characters, one of which would be perfect for Chris. WCW was trying to capitalize on the popularity of one of the greatest video game franchises of all time, Mortal Kombat. And let me tell you, as a kid that grew up loving both pro wrestling and Mortal Kombat, Bischoff was 100% right because everything we're about to talk about was my shit. And it was only four years past its prime.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, when it, was, it was in the prime of what was going on. It just it sucked it was happened during the NWO thing. But yep. Bischoff is not wrong in thinking if we create this kind of like subgenre inside of pro wrestling and if we can create video game characters out of these guys, also two interesting action figures. Yeah. I mean, that's not too much unlike what G.I. Joe and He Man was. He Man was just that cartoon was created to sell action figures. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and, and part of the reason like deregulation happened during Reagan's administration, the idea of, of having a television show based off of a current product was why the G.I. Joe cartoon existed. So the idea of okay within this wrestling show we're gonna create these characters which are gonna sell us merchandise, which Bischoff has talked many times on 83 Weeks was a big issue of his is selling merchandise and getting a licensing agreement. The idea of capitalizing on Mortal Kombat and how big that is like hey we have our own Mortal Kombat characters. You can get them and create the action figures, create a video game out of that and, and create some more money and generate more revenue for WCW. He's not fucking wrong and if the hottest best fucking angle of all time in realism wasn't being pushed to the forefront like if we still had another two or three years of the hokey characters this this could have been big and could have been something very interesting and could have changed the way pro wrestling is used to market and create characters i think
1: there is something to be said i mean like you guys would say comedy timing is very important and i think around this time mortal kombat 3 had already come out and I think it was a good idea, but it was one of those that was literally like two or three years earlier, it would have fucking blew up.
0: Yeah, if there's a Mortal Kombat 2 thing about that time. Yeah,
1: Mortal Kombat 2 was peak.
0: But also, too, think about this. Tiger Mask, based off of a cartoon. True. Liger, also yeah. cartoon. Vader, like, the the idea of basing something on, on something outside of our wrestling and creating a, a character inside of that. So even if you don't get the licensing agreement, you don't get the action figures in the video game thing, creating something... That you own is good, but also taking kind of a spin off of something like these are like Mortal Kombat characters, but not really. But basing it off something like that. I mean, like I said, in Japan, they had Tiger Mask. That was a straight up from a cartoon and then brought that into pro wrestling. So what to say that you couldn't create your own characters, your own IP and. Place it into professional wrestling, and it's similar and like to something that's already successful. That's yeah. that that thought process. No, you got to go for it. As a business person, that all checks out. Yeah. I so if anybody shits on fucking blood, Runs cold, you can go fuck yourself, just like evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> I think Chris Cannon would appreciate how much I've oh, no, on no, dude, dude, this dude. episode.
2: Bischoffs new brain baby was blood runs cold it was a series of karate based wrestlers with extravagant entrances and costumes chris's character was originally pitched as a snake but after some tweaking they landed on a skull and death theme chris canyon would soon become mortis mortis meaning death in latin or meaning additional in southern as in hey you want some mortis natty light (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, best, the best part of that was Nick laughing at his don't joke. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> and Mort is also known as master of the forbidden blood sports and a pit
2: fighter who ran out of competition in Southeast Asia. On top of the excitement and hype of being pushed as the next big thing, Chris got to wear a mask. And he said this helped him be more confident about being gay since people were way less likely to recognize him outside of work. As Jake mentioned, there were two huge problems with the Blood Runs Cold Angle. One, once the NWO was formed, nothing else in WCW mattered until it closed its doors in 01. And second, the NWO was ushering in this new era of blurring the lines between kayfabe and reality, and a bunch of knockoff video game characters aren't exactly real to me, damn it. To make matters worse, everything for this angle had to get pushed back. And to give you a timeline of how fucked up it all got, April 29th, 96, Nitro rolled out the first ever Glacier promo. And the spearhead of the group wouldn't debut for another five months. On September 9th, 96, WCW Pro, whatever the fuck that is then they had to spend time getting glacier over which meant mortis wouldn't have his tv debut until march of 1990 fucking seven Jake, what would you say is a good build-up time for something like a raw vignette to finally reveal?
0: Like six weeks, just four weeks? Depends on who it is. If uh, Rob Van Dam was fucking Glacier, as I was gonna, yeah, like, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> you, you could have fucking hyped it for eight months, and it would have fucking been just as big. Um, I mean, five months—it better, better fucking. Whoa, five months, wow. Uh, three months, but I mean, they don't do—they don't cook stuff like that anymore. Nope. I mean, you think about like the Chris Jericho like countdown, yeah, that was and, good. And, and as big as that. That was, and what what entailed with that, and then you think about that one campaign that everyone was talking about, like I can't remember what it was in WWE, and everybody thought it was Sting when it was like. It's like some weird thing, but it's something for The Undertaker coming back. Uh-huh. I remember there was some weird ad campaign. They were pushing for like a couple months there. I'm like, oh, this means Sting's coming back. Right. Right. It fucking was. never fucking is. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Dave. Like, it's just like, there are multiples of those, and they'd happen for two months. And then, of course, it wouldn't be Sting, and everybody disappointed. I'm like, oh, it's The fucking Undertaker, only one of the biggest superstars of all time. <laughs> 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 Give me a month or two of just doing man scout vignettes on a on a television program <laughs> for a week, and then me coming out yeah, and seriously. running the roast while reading the book and. I will be shit on profusely the internet <laughs> to the end of time,
1: but your bank account will be laughing, but
0: but then fuck, I'll be, they'll, they'll release me six months later. I'll be doing legends of the ring. I'll be doing every like high school gym that I was doing before, but for triple the money, your
1: flyers, like 90% AEW logo, yeah, 10% your face. I'll, <laughs>
0: I'll get, I'll get a good run for about a year and a half. And then the drug problems will hit and then I'll go mm. to rehab. And then like all of a sudden I'll, I'll build my body back up and then I'll, I'll disappear and then I'll, come back on twitter and be just fucking crazy and shit yeah. like that and i like wrestle for gcw having all kinds of like hardcore matches against schlack and getting all bloody and stuff like that and like oh my gosh the man scout going hardcore you know it's just <laughs> crazy and reinvent my whole career and then you know i'll just disappear forever and, and that's when i'll start becoming an uber driver in la <laughs> oh, i was
2: gonna go with monk but uber driver in la works too by the time Mortis would debut, it was clear that the Blood Runs Cold angle wasn't gonna get over, at least compared to anything like the NWO. Big example of this is Glacier's epic laser and snow intro cost four hundred thousand dollars and an additional ten thousand dollars per entrance to have technicians run it, while Mortis got a stick. <laughs> it was it was a pretty cool stick. <laughs> Mortis would also get a mouthpiece and manager, James Vandenberg, a.k.a. Jim Mitchell, who Chris got a job in WCW.
0: Because a motherfucker smelt like brimstone. <laughs> that, that, so you, you say, oh, I got a stick. No, he got a motherfucker that smells like brimstone. So Glacier had snow falling from the sky. When Canyon walked into a room as Mortis, he fucking smelled the brimstone because he was standing next to Jim Mitchell. That's why.
1: And just put it out. Canyon wanted more, man. He wanted. He had all types of ideas. He wanted. He wanted a big skeleton mask, and he wanted it actually on fucking fire. And he wanted. And they were gonna do vignettes of him arriving on a big ominous, foggy boat, and the arrival of Mortis. The way he described it, it would've been awesome. But you know, LOL WCW.
2: <laughs> While Chris was pulled off TV, they had a bit of like a soft opening as Glacier versus Mortis did a big test run on a European tour. Then Mortis would finally debut at 97's Uncensored in a WCW martial arts match taking on the undefeated Glacier. Mortis looks cool as fuck and as Dusty Rhodes said upon first seeing him, he's got big arms. <laughs> It was. <laughs> that's the that's thing that I can see with my two eyes, and then I'm remarking on it because that
0: is the thing that is true. So every, everything on this man's body is covered up, except for his big arms, baby. Look at them arms, flapping around, baby. Doing the kung fu shit like Bruce Lee. <laughs> the second most recognizable martial artist in the world. There's Bruce Lee, then me, then Chuck Norris, baby. <laughs>
2: I thought this was a fun match, but the crowd—it really is. I was surprised rewatching it. The the crowd does not give a fuck. Mm -mm.
1: He hits a famouser better than badass Billy Gunn ever did. That's all I got. Just triggered Jake (laughs) with that comment, by the way.
2: Mortis eats the Dreddic Chronic Kick and lost his debut. Then the next member of the Karate Martial Arts Group, Wrath, comes out to attack (laughs) Glacier. Mortis and Wrath would keep attacking Glacier during the build up to 97 Slamboree. At Slamboree, Mortis and Glacier would have a less than 2 minute match ending in a DQ when Wrath comes out again to attack Glacier. After which, Wrath and Mortis are beating down Glacier until Ernest Miller, dressed like a Best Buy employee, runs to the ring and kicks up a storm saving Glacier.
1: I think it needs to be said that through the buildup of all this, they talked about how Mortis and Wrath had this old shoot fighting pit battle history with Glacier. And as far as I know, they never really touch on that narrative and it just immediately starts in act one and ends in act one. Anybody remember anything explained?
2: I think they kept teasing it. And then by the time they were going to like unload the story, it was over. Yeah, I was going to say, it had fallen flat so much so they just gave up on yeah. it. The four men would keep fighting on the bill to bash at the beach with Ernest and Glacier teaming up, and of course Mortis and Wrath. To give them credit, Mortis... And Rath had some
1: they uh, did that powerbomb neckbreaker combo that I remember marking out for when I was 15 or whatever. Reverse Boston Crab into a guillotine leg drop from Mortis. They did some stuff instead of just normal power shit, which I'm sure Canyon was like, "Hey Rath, let's actually do some inventive shit."
2: Mortis actually gets the win here after a super kick, giving Glacier his first ever pin. Damn right. After that, Mortis and Glacier's feud was more or less over. Canyon and Old Adam Bomb continued the team together, feuding with the Faces of Fear, Ming and Barbarian. And on an August 25th, 97 Nitro, Ming and Barbarian actually shot on Mortis and Wrath, which, dear God, what do you do when Ming is coming at you for real?
0: Uh, we, we always talk about Ming, and yeah, he, he would murder you. Barbarian,
2: too. <laughs> I, I think I might
0: have even told the story here in, in this podcast before. When I first moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, I started working out at a YMCA And just happened to be the same YMCA that Barb would work out. So, like, moving here and from. Illinois and Iowa, and I'm never. A barbarian, man. And, and like, oh fuck, that's. A barbarian. <laughs> yeah. and, and and like, and moved. You moved here for wrestling, and all of a sudden you're working out of the same gym <laughs> as Barbarian. It's like
1: going to L. A. and you just walk by Vince Vaughn into Starbucks or and, some shit. Yeah, <laughs>
0: or just, you know whatever. But like, the whole reason you're here is to be more connected to wrestling. And right. you're working out of the same gym that Barbarian is at, and you're just trying to play it cool. <laughs> and, and this motherfucker has got three plates <laughs> on the fucking barbell and just incline pressing it. Jesus. It, as a warm-up and doing just reps with it absurd it's just absurd 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 and this is not prime barbarian this is like bar this is like 50 year old plus like bar just just repping this shit you know just nuts
2: following the match where ming and barbarian got very physical with canyon in the back they said it was just business the bosses aka kevin sullivan trying to stick it to two bischoff guys By early 98, we'd start seeing the beginning of the end of Mortis. January 26, 98's Nitro, which is the first ever three-hour-long Nitro, Mortis took on Raven, and it's another pretty good damn match. Mortis lost to Raven's DDT, but this would kind of sow the seeds for a new angle, especially since later that night, Wrath dropped Mortis after he lost to DDP, which would be the end of those two. It needs to be said, the beginning of this
1: match is fucking fantastic. I mean, everybody remembers Raven's all, I'm soaking in the corner, blah, 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 I'm emo, and I listen to music that emo people do. He was grunge, you insensitive fuck. I don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> um, He's got his legs wide open, even flow, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, as soon as the match starts, Canyon does a running baseball slide kick right into Raven's balls, (laughs) and Raven sells the shit out of it. And I I, I forgot that. It's gorgeous. Please please look up the match just for the opening of the match.
0: Well, here's a question. Uh, The Raven character is very much of its time, grunge. Mm, Nirvana. What would be the modern-day equivalent of Raven? A SoundCloud rapper. Sound, see, SoundCloud rapper. See, I was saying all right guy. <laughs> you know, that po- the shit posts online. What about me? What about the white male? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 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 right,
1: that that needs show. to be an angle. <laughs> it probably is in some indie fed. There's got to be a gimmick
2: somewhere. Uh, it's... Alright, by February, Mortis had asked Raven if he could join the flock, and Raven gave him one condition, beat DDP for the United States Heavyweight Championship, which is unfair, Lodi didn't have to do anything like that. (laughs) He just
1: had to steal sign guy Dudley's gimmick. And I'm sorry, Nick, he had to also be himself. That's what Raven stipulated. It's like, make you dress in your clown costume. Is that a mask of hate or a mask of shame? That was my best Raven, and that was about a three.
2: This led to a February 12th episode of Thunder, which you may remember February 12th's episode of Thunder as having Louis Spicoli on commentary as his last ever TV appearance as he passed away just three days later. So Mortis took on his old pal DDP, eats a diamond cutter for the L, and to make matters worse, Raven gives him a DDT on the entrance ramp after he failed his mission objective, And with that mortis was mortis in the latin meaning but this opened the door for the debut of canyon one of the most interesting
1: and fun things i learned when doing research on this is i always i'm sure people listening might remember is raven always did his gimmick where he sat in the corner and this was around the time there was probably a good amount of fan run-ins and there's the infamous one where raven's sitting in the corner being his grungy self and some like 85 pound redneck comes in, grabs Raven by the hair and pulls him through the fucking ropes to the ground. And then they beat the living shit out of him. And then from this point on, Canyon becomes a running fan in a way. There's an angle where he's a beer vendor and he comes in and knocks the shit out of Saturn. And I think Raven, uh, he impersonates a riot cop. He does the riot cop thing multiple times, but he keeps, they keep building this up of who is this? Who is this person? and it's one of those things where uh, reality turns into art there's like hey remember when raven got beat up by that redneck fan hey let's do that with canyon
2: at 1998's great american bash a maskless chris canyon would take on perry saturn they gave him almost 15 minutes and it's uh the ending's what it is but it's also another great chris Canyon match it's a lot of good
1: spots and the crowd just does not give a shit. <laughs> but it,
2: it, it's really fun to end, two fake mortises come down and they get in the ring and start fighting. That let Chris get the upper hand, catch Saturn in his reverse Russian leg sweep for the win, then fake mortise DDT's Canyon and it turns out it's Raven. From there, Chris took on Saturn and flock members like Sick Boy, Horse, and even Raven himself. That led to 98's Road Wild, the gathering of the juggalos for dads who crisis bought a Harley, and headlined by Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff versus DDP and Jay fucking Leno. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> oh, I see what
1: you did there, and I did like it. Is there any pay-per-view with a better atmosphere than Road Wild? Just randomly revving motorcycles and drunken rednecks screaming and, and cameramen attempting not to record naked titties on air? I mean, it just screams energy.
2: Sounds like doing a show at Bonkers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another uh, Bonkers reference, I alright. I was going to say it sounds like an Eric Bischoff toxic masculinity uh, fantasy orgy, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Um, a couple highlights from this match, uh,
1: Canyon and Saturn hit total elimination on Raven and they actually do it pretty well. Uh, Canyon debut, or I don't know if he debuts, but he does rolling Russian leg sweeps, which I'm a sucker for Russian leg sweeps. That was so sweeps. fucking awesome. <laughs> I love that spot. And then it's Another way Canyon just tries to make the most out of everything, they had that stupid scaffolding outside, Canyon climbed up the scaffolding and attempted to hit a splash on Raven. He misses, but Canyon was always going for stuff
0: just to make it a little bit more interesting. <laughs> Full disclosure, every time that you talk about something ridiculous that Canyon has done on this episode, so far, Micah, in my head, while you're saying it, I hear Canyon go, Bro, what if? <laughs> and then whatever you said it ro- rolls into my head. But every time you're like, Canyon fucking did this, in my mind, I go, Bro, what if? Like- All right, well, we'll transition from that easily into the most
1: ridiculous thing Canyon ever did when I saw as a young wrestling mark. During this feud with Saturn and Raven, There's a spot where Canyon's basically like the Hulk Hogan of the feud, and he comes in and destroys the entire flock. Takes them all out, flatliner, flatliner, that uh, kind of reverse F5 thing he used to do that was cool as hell. But then, since the last one is Kidman, and Kidman and him are buddies, they trust each other throughout the years, Canyon gets him up on the top rope, and second turnbuckle pile drives the living fuck out of Kidman I remember watching this live on Nitro and it's honestly one of my biggest like feeling it through my body mark out moments he he straight up pulls him up drops him on his head from the second turnbuckle he bounces like RVD did against Tommy dreamer in that one spot it's it's ungodly it was second turnbuckle pile drivers like I hadn't even seen that on a Japan tape Canyon is fucking nuts man it's on YouTube it's Canyon destroys the flock Uh, look it up second turnbuckle pile driver dear god
2: From there, Canyon continued to work against Saturn and Raven here and there until Saturn broke up the flock by beating Raven at 98's fall brawl. Canyon and Raven would actually team together until Raven was sightlined with some kayfabe depression. This freed Chris up for a WCW world heavyweight title shot as Chris Canyon would take on Goldberg on a September 24th episode of Thunder
1: who's better than canyon straight into the spear
2: <laughs> basically
1: and i mean i really I, I really worked on it so here we go who's better than canyon what do you think jake is that uh, uh, you didn't say enough bros in there you I, yeah, i'm trying to do bros. trying to do accuracy and not parody but i who's better than canyon bro <laughs> 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 that, the, you gotta be bro. You gotta put the bro. No, but the canyon. Yeah, he always did. Uh, fuck it. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was funny that Canyon was like, I feel like I should have an eight minute match. I'm like, no, man. Like sometimes less is more. And you getting that one line in there and then having an eight minute match with Goldberg doesn't do anything for yep. you. But if you just like hit that line and then fucking get taken out right away, like that's that's fine. That's what you need. That's so,
1: a perfect like one line joke. Like set up, bam, punchline.
0: Yeah. You don't need to have like drawn on for eight minutes are you doing a couple other things and this and that. If anything, take the elements of that eight minute match and have eight matches with it. Like that <laughs> oh, and, and, and and it's this whole the idea of Canyon like I can beat Goldberg. I promise you I can beat Gold and every time it's like a minute long or less <laughs> That's and, a he, good angle, and yeah. he just keeps coming out like, I swear to God I can beat him bro. I swear to God I can six beat him. Six times the charm bro six <laughs> times the charm Like I just I keep getting caught. He's so good. Like <laughs> just give me another shot and then if he gets to a point where all the, then he builds and play to an eight minute match or a five minute match, you've made Canyon and he has lost eight times of this man. It's
2: it's <laughs> like the the Rocky one. He
0: fucking <laughs> lost but he's over his shit.
2: Around here is when Eric Bischoff asked Chris to go to Hollywood to be a consultant on the Jesse Ventura story.
0: Motherfucker, I podcast about this. I was going to
2: ask you if you guys did this episode, or if you did the movie.
0: You're goddamn right I did. And my girlfriend at the time was a resident of Minnesota when Jesse Ventura was the governor. And she did not speak highly of Jesse Ventura. So she
1: did, she voted for whoever the other persons were.
0: Uh, I don't know if she voted
1: or not. Oh. But she
0: talked about how like oh he he did this and he did that. And then I and I was like oh yeah well then I gave him a, a whole bunch of list of good things that he did. And she's like oh. Now I feel bad that I didn't vote for him. <laughs> and all
1: he did was say he was in Predator. And,
0: and then a few months later, uh, she broke up with me. So maybe, maybe that. Uh, <laughs> you found the moment. Yeah, found, uh, so if you go back and listen to that How This Get Booked episode where we're talking about that, you might hear my uh, six-year relationship end in in the mirror midst of a podcast.
1: Hey, there's layers to art, man.
0: Which also, too, what I thought was funny about that Jesse Ventura story, it was one of those unauthorized biographies. And the reason it's unauthorized is so they have to pay Jesse Ventura. And another that's a good idea, and I think another way that it was for sure unauthorized is because the guy playing Jesse Ventura did not have a Minnesota accent, like <laughs> he he sounded more Midwestern than I did, and Tom Brokaw <laughs> does. So <laughs> wow. I, don't, I don't even know how that's possible that you can sound so monotone that you the, the guy who has the most over the top voice, like a voice so over the top, that's why he got booked for Predator
1: and if anybody is interested in this disaster of a tv movie that i think was like one of those sunday night 7 or 8 p.m things on fuck i don't cbs or something i don't know it is in its
2: entirety on youtube canyon returned from his movie career in early 99 and formed a stable with bam bam bigelow and diamond dallas page known as the jersey triad despite being from new york city
1: oh you mean bada bing bada bang bada bam and every time they did it i cringed so hard
2: (laughs) the triad would end up with the tag team titles defending them under the free bird rule and the free bird rule of course being that anyone in the stable can defend the titles because chances are at least one of them are too drunk to do so Canyon and Bigelow would lose the titles at Road Wild August 14th, 99, against Harlem Heat, who was winning them for their eighth time.
1: And if you want to see some really good foreshadowing when Bam Bam's walking out, it's right around his waist, and just out of the blue, it falls off onto the floor. (laughs) Canyon and him's little moment during that is kind of endearing, and it's small, but it's a really good moment. And i just like a couple matches they had before this against and saturn over the summer are really good matches yet again the crowd's not really into them but it's i mean those guys involved you can tell how good it's gonna be
2: the triad broke up shortly after dropping the belts and chris would once again head to hollywood this time working on oscar winner in every single category the wcw produced film ready to rumble i remember
1: seeing ready to rumble at the Hickory Multiplex, whatever the fuck it was called, with my best friend Mitch and his girlfriend at the time. And I think there was seven of us in the entire theater on, like, Friday opening night. And goddamn if we didn't have a ball. All right, I ordered
0: it on DirecTV. <laughs> Hell yeah. On the pay-per-view. I hit the little button. Yeah. I gave my, it's like, ooh, I got this movie now. Gave, gave the money to my parents. I'm like, I want to see ready to Rumble." <laughs> here's I, $7. Here's Put this 7, 14 the $14, <laughs> whatever it is. So here you are, and I'm buying this pay-per-view.
2: I rented it from Blockbuster.
0: Wow, we we, did, we got our own triad Full of, spectrum, of consumerism <laughs> in the late 90s <laughs> for movies. Oh my God, it summed it all up. This is amazing. Bought it on pay-per-view, went to Blockbuster, saw it in a the theater, which uh. none of which is done anymore <laughs> by
1: anybody ever again. Actually, um, theater, VOD, VizArt Video. Mm, it still happens.
2: Chris served as a stunt coordinator and stunt double for the lead actor playing the king, Oliver Platt. He worked with fellow stunt coordinator Joel Kramer, who worked on True Lies and Terminator 2. Oh, wait. Mm, Never mind. I can go on a thing, Uh, but it might get weird. Go on. uh, (laughs) uh, Did Joel
0: Kramer touch somebody he wasn't supposed to? Moving on. Oh! oh. <laughs> so uh, look good. up
1: if, you, if you're... We're not going to get into it. It might be the wrong one, but the stunt coordinator for True Lies and Eliza Dushku... Have a certain horrible history. I think
0: I've heard about uh-huh. this. Yeah, let's move on away from this again, Nick. Let's talk about professional <laughs> wrestling, where it's a sanctity of of moral behavior. I'm sorry. Some <laughs>
1: things I learn, I feel like when it comes up, I'm like,
0: Oh God, tell people about this. <laughs> Let, let's 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 move on to another reference from the Are video shoot interview. God damn it! No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, as as part of the movie, he helped train David Arquette. So you know kind of like a big butterfly effect there imagine David Arquette removed from wrestling or now you know he's still doing it and now everyone loves him
0: dude he is and that's the whole reason he's doing it now is because he felt it like everybody hated him when all that was going on and he's like I just want to he's like hey man I just <laughs> I just want people to like me man I want to give back and he would like cut these professional promos and like seeing David Arquette cut a promo is different than seeing some indie guy doing it with a phone you know, even though David <laughs> Arquette's cutting it with a phone. Right. But it's like when you see a professional actor Hell yeah. Yeah. do a wrestling promo, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I see the difference here. Cause every, There's like, levels to this shit. Yeah, because every pro wrestler's like, well, I, act. I pretend to be somebody. Well, you know, these yeah. guys in movies, they get multiple takes to do whatever. No, when you see a professional actor like david arquette cut kind a of wrestling problem like oh that's the difference right there <laughs> yep. and like he did a lot of work with northeast wrestling very giving and very very super cool like i merely gave him a clothesline one time in a match and ever since then every time he sees me he's like hey man how you doing like he's so like <laughs> up so B. Cool. yeah i just gave him a clothesline and that's it and just he's such a nice Dude, man. You know what? If I can, next time you see David Arquette, no matter where it is, I mean, don't bother him. and don't tell him he's the scourge of the wrestling world and he killed WCW. Give that motherfucker a high five. Like, hey, man, high five. You were
1: awesome in Scream and The Grey Zone. Come on, son.
0: Have a good fucking day, David (laughs)
1: Arquette. I think we touched on it, but uh, Canyon was the one that they went to when they had to train all these celebrities that WCW was bringing in to try to pop those pay-per-views. Canyon said that uh good details in the shoot apparently Dennis Rodman was a douche didn't take it serious shocking direct quote he smelled like shit off of a four-day bender Carl Malone took it serious had great ideas worked hard yet again that just makes me love Carl Malone even more and Jay Leno actually took it serious trained two hours per day Uh, he was serious the whole time didn't joke around and wasn't funny in training Jay Leno not being funny what's going on
2: guys I don't. I don't want to break your heart, but uh, you should Google Carl Malone. Google uh, Carl Malone. Do uh, just just Google Carl Malone's a scumbag. That's I don't.
0: Oh,
1: gosh. I really don't know any uh, uh, horrible Carmelo stuff. This oh, is fucking the, ruining the episode, Nick. It, ma- it makes a
0: lot of sense because as button up as he is, It's always the thing. That the guys that are the most buttoned up, most respectable, they ha- they can't let. I mean, just yeah, all those guys that are very buttoned up, very respectful, do everything right. They can't let a crack show of their darkness and their seediness. Or uh, like if something bad comes out about me, I've I've admitted all my peccadillos for years. <laughs> peccadillos. <laughs> Including saying that word.
1: Mongo also needs to be addressed here when he had to train Mongo and Kevin Green. Someone
0: trained Mongo? I know. It's. Fuck both of your fucking selves. That man was a presence. He was an attraction. He wasn't supposed to be a full-time wrestler. He's supposed to sit back there, look fucking tough, come in, beat somebody up during the heat, then tag back out and let somebody else do the fucking work. And I'm fucking fine with that, okay? As Canyon said, I have
1: no clue how he could be so good at football and suck at so much ass at wrestling.
0: (laughs) Nobody ever said he was great, okay? (laughs) Obviously, we need people like you, Chris Canyon, to prop up... Attractions, yeah, like Steve Mongol McMichael. Steve Mongol, if you treat him as an attraction, huh which it, he still wasn't, you can appreciate him. He's from the '85 fucking Bears. Anybody, like, if you want to bring out Richard fucking Dent, if you Jim McMahon is a fucking attraction uh, today, it's all William Refrigerator period We know it, exactly <laughs> attraction as well. Walter, goddamn fucking Peyton. <laughs> man could walk on water, and that would attract some people to show up, thus making him an attraction, because he's on the fucking 85 Bears, and he didn't even score a touchdown in that Super Bowl victory, when everybody on that fucking field did. The Bears.
2: I didn't know how to shoehorn this in when we were talking about the Mortal Kombat characters, but Steve Mongo McMichaels kind of looks like Goro. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you ripped off
1: two of Goro's arms, you'd get Steve Mongo McMichael. <laughs>
2: Canyon returned to WCW in late 1999 as Chris Champagne Canyon, kind of a douchey partyer, Hollywood type, uh, flanked by two former Nitro girls, Baby and Chameleon. It's kind of like when Neil Patrick Harris had to play Barney on *How I Met Your Mother*. I wish I'd seen that show. I'd probably I don't know. You, you should watch it. Champagne would get into a feud with former Triad partner Bam Bam Bigelow after breaking a champagne bottle over his head. Something I saw happen to our very own Man Scout Jake Manning.
1: What was the context of that? The I don't revolt turned
0: it? on me?
2: You. Oh, that was shit. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks I for
0: not, thanks for pe- not paying attention to my career. I appreciate it. You, you're like the rest of the indie world. I was there. You get online, but I don't like. Dude. I was there I and, like, and I dude. forgot. Uh, That's just my old shitty. Man, memory. Scott Manning heard of him before. <laughs> uh, I'll say and move right along and not give him a fucking job. Yeah, man, scout heard of him before. Uh, but we wanted to fucking send this fucking Impact Wrestling footage immediately. Uh, <laughs> but we won't return his fucking emails. Uh, man, man. Fuck off, Impact. <laughs>
2: Since it was WCW year 2000, there was one way and one way only to settle a score. Put it on a pole. On January 12th episode of Thunder, we'd have a champagne on a pole match between Chris and Bam Bam Bigelow.
1: The match is stupid, but the thing I really want to bring up that just boggled my mind because I think this is right around when I quit watching WCW. At one point during the match, Lex Luger comes out dressed up like Sting in full Sting makeup and he beats up Bam Bam Bigelow. What in the fuck feud was going on here? Anybody? <laughs> Remember anything? It's the
2: weirdest shit I've ever. Lex Luger in full Sting makeup. Chris would then have a pretty big moment at Slamboree 2000. First... Canyon would have a match against Mike Awesome that ended in no contest when everyone in the WCW locker room came out to fight after Nash attacked Mike Awesome. But during the match, they were really, really putting over Canyon's relationship with DDP. Later that night, you'd see why. In the main event, Jeff Jarrett, DDP, and David Arquette were battling over the WCW World Heavyweight title in a ready-to-rumble, triple-cage-of-death, three-cages-rumble stacked on top of each other, three-cages match. With guitars on the top cage, (laughs) because guitars (laughs)
1: fuck people's heads up made out of plywood.
2: Towards the end of the match, David Arquette straight swerve bros DDP and whacks him with a guitar. Then Mike Awesome comes out to powerbomb DDP off the cage. Luckily for Dallas, Canyon comes out to save him. So Awesome turns his attention to Chris and tosses him off the top of the cage.
1: I quit watching then, but I remember this is one of those things like, oh man, you got to go back and watch this because Canyon gets thrown off a fucking cage.
0: Yeah, in the same building where Owen Hart died. I know! And it, seeing it, you could almost, like, I I didn't see it when it happened. I heard about it when it happened, but then, like, I did cover this particular pay-per-view for How Did This Get Booked episode, and then watching it back, like, when it happened, there was more of a, oh... And it, and it wasn't like a, oh gosh I can't believe somebody got thrown out of the cage it was more like oh my god I can't believe they performed a stunt like this uh, in this in, in this building where this happened and WCW was like huh huh get it get it oh god, we're trying to be edgy we're doing this in the same spot like almost like they recognized what they were doing and were doing it to fucking kind of like were being controversial like in the same yeah. building where Owen Hart like it seemed like some bullshit because there was a lot of stuff like we're going to throw this out here just to get people fucking
1: mad they really had to at that point
0: though. you know it might, but fuck that's what people are doing now. That's how people get over. Yeah. Is do something that that makes the equal amount of people mad and an equal amount of people uh, like it, and then it pushes it up the charts. And I think that's what WCW was trying to do here. That you wanted people to say, "Oh, that was an awesome fucking bump," but also, I can't believe they fucking did this in the same place. Like, I it really felt like they know what they were doing. And when it happened, the crowd's like, "Ooh, you should have known better," and it went opposite all the way to fucking hate and there was no love on the other side of it which is a fucking shame because chris cannon fucking took a bump of a fucking lifetime and didn't get the love that he deserves for it and
1: so. it looks great too he makes it look easy and safe if you can do that for uh getting thrown off the top of a cage spot and i want to flash back a little bit to the mike awesome match at the end of that there's a huge brawl all the faces come out beating the shit out of all the heels i think it was the young up-and-comer faction i don't remember who the fuck they were but uh in the ring at the end of this brawl is rick flair sting kevin nash and canyon <laughs> it's just bringing that group together it was they were really trying to put the dude over and he was really getting his love then it was it was a cool moment i didn't see
2: till recently chris would be off tv for about a month to sell the spot and he'd come back as positively canyon a reference to diamond dallas page's autobiography positively page he eventually even dyed his hair blonde wore a positively canyon t-shirt and even started using the canyon cutter
1: go on youtube look up the canyon cutter montage or the best of the canyon cutter i was out of the loop like i said at this point But the montage of him randomly canyon-cuttering, like, the caterer, uh, a random security (laughs) guard, the 1-800-CALL-ATT commercial guy. There's there's a spot where uh, they're showing footage of, like, the ring crew set up for that night's uh, WCW. And then in the distance, you see Canyon grab the ring crew guy, canyon-cutter, and then he runs up to the hard camera, and then he's like, BANG! It just the way they would sell the random canyon cutters is some of the funniest fucking shit I have seen in a while. They're showing a wide shot of uh, the arena that they're at, and there's just some guy walking around the arena. It's really small and it's really long shot. But then you just see this dude come out of the blue and hit a canyon cutter on just a random passerby, and it really—he was the original RKO out of nowhere, and he needs to be respected for that shit, man.
2: Another person he would give a random cut or two was Buff Bagwell's mother, Judy. And I'll tell you <laughs> one thing you diamond cut my mama. We're putting her on a forklift and we're fighting. I mean, uh, what else are you going to do? That's exactly what would happen at 2000's New Blood Rising in a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Um, eh, eh,
1: I mean, I don't know. It, it was solid for what it was. Great Canyon moment at the beginning of this. He's so over. He says, Who's better than Canyon? And the crowd all screams, Nobody, and they love the shit out of him. And then five seconds later, he insults Canada and calls him a second rate country, and they <laughs> boo him to death. And it was just that manipulation. It was good seeing him get over as a face and a heel that made me smile so damn big, man.
2: So to catch you up on this Positively Canyon gimmick, in real life, DDP had left WCW after several disagreements with Vince Russo, and Chris's character was kind of a way to poke at him. At first, DDP was very supportive, but as his negotiations with WCW broke down, DDP asked Chris to stop doing the hand sign and the diamond cutter. Chris of course agreed to stop because they're friends, but that gave him heat with Vince Russo, so Chris got pulled off of TV. Eventually, DDP and WCW worked things out, and he came back. So would Canyon on February 5th, 2001's episode of Nitro. Scott Steiner was facing DDP, and after Scott attacked the ref and got DQ'd, DDP went into the crowd to celebrate. He was then attacked by two crazed fans, Chris Canyon and Jeff Jarrett. In response to Chris's attack and his new alliance, DDP said he'd take on Canyon anywhere, anytime, and Double J thought a good time and place would be right before their match at Super Bra Revenge on February 18th,
1: 2001. Um, it's actually a pretty solid match. I was I was surprised how much the crowd was into it because they're hot as hell for it. But uh, it's a really good match. It's definitely a highlight of Canyon's late WCW run.
2: By March of 2001, Canyon was starting a feud with Ernest the Cat Miller. However, that March...
0: I bought my competition. You know how you spell Jeff Jarrett? F-I-R-E-D. Ha (laughs) ha! Fired! (laughs) Ha ha! He
1: was so proud of
0: himself. Oh yeah, And and at the time that we're recording this... The Boy Scouts of America just ch- filed for Chapter Eleven, mm-hmm. and it, of course I I put and it was like breaking news. Boy Scouts of America filed for Chapter Eleven, and of course I put breaking news. The Man Scouts of America are still <laughs> going strong. But the tweet that most people didn't fucking see because fuck your algorithms, Twitter uh-huh. is the one where I I also put another a retweet comment where I, it was another story about the boy the actual Boy Scouts of America like Twitter account where they announced that they're filing for Chapter Eleven. Right, I in the most savage way possible. And this only got four fucking likes on Twitter, oh, but the other shoot. one is it's such a mediocre fucking tweet, but this one's genius, in that I took the Boy Scouts announcement of fucking filing for chapter 11, I put, uh, the last uh, Boy Scout troop meeting will be held in Panama City Beach, Florida, and I'll be tuning in live via satellite. Oh, <laughs> that's fucking, I don't give a fuck, that's the one. That's the one that should got 100 but, likes. But
1: that's, but that's the thing, only four people got it, because only four people are gonna get something that good.
0: <laughs> that's that's something that people say when they're fucking like me and, and nobody pays attention to their fucking career when you're not over like oh it's only the cool people that follow me don't get me wrong i appreciate every one of you that uh, donated on patreon you are definitely the cool people but fuck i wish there was a thousand of you you know like-
2: kenyon wasn't one of the 24 contracts that wwf picked up however chris had been in communication with jim ross he got a meeting talked it out and Chris signed with the WWF. Canyon would make his WWF TV debut July 16, 2001 on an episode of SmackDown, better known as the episode where Kurt Angle wore the tiny cowboy hat. <laughs> Closing the show DDP had been chased off by the Undertaker after losing to Booker T. Taker followed Page out into the parking lot where he was attacked by a herd of WCW guys including Chris Canyon. And I believe a herd of WCW guys, a murder of crows, a pack of lions, and a swerve of WCW wrestlers.
0: Or a fucking wolf pack, motherfucker. Like, (laughs) Don't turn your back on the wolf pack.
2: (laughs) Chris would make his pay-per-view debut at Invasion in a short match with Sean Stasiak and Hugh Morris beating the big show Billy Gunn and Albert. They get the win on paper, but after the match, Big Show smashes them all. So it's not like a big, like glorified standing tall. Oh, it's win.
0: 50/50 booking. It's 50/50 booking. It's all hard. Right. It's like it's like Vince like, ah, oh, get him on the goddamn show. And then like, well, you know, Vince, kind of if we get him on the show, they they got to win just because we got to structure up to create some drama. God damn it, we gotta let them. These fucking jabones win. <laughs> fucking have Big Show beat the shit out of them.
2: Then we get to Chris's first wwf title reign on july 26th at a house show in pittsburgh double champion booker t holding both the wcw world heavyweight title and the u.s title gave chris the u.s belt because stephanie mcmahon told him to so not like the coolest way to win a title but chris seemed like a guy who was still a big fan of wrestling as he was wrestling and having a
0: belt probably meant a lot to him
1: I mean, but that's uh, if he's a heel. That's kind of how you want to get it, right? You want to be like, "Yeah, hey, I got a belt. I didn't do shit. This is great." <laughs> oh,
0: but then all the marks they're like, "No, I prefer the tradition of professional wrestling because <laughs> the U.S. belt was defended. Multiple Rick Flair had held that belt. Greg the Hammer Valentine, an excellent wrestling superstar, and Greg the Hammer Valentine was a U.S. Wahoo McDaniel wore that U.S. title, and they just hand it to some guy named Chris Canyon. That is disrespectful to the lineage of the U.S. belt and another proof that Vince McMahon is just trying to shit on the NWA. He, he he doesn't give a fuck about WCW. He just wants to shit on the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions, which we all know if Crockett wouldn't have bought that Dallas office, they would have beat <laughs> WWF handily in the wrestling war and won the wrestling civil war.
2: 15 minutes later.
0: And then Ted Turner came in and fucked everything up in WCW and put Jim Hurd in charge. You know, the pizza man. He ruined everything. <laughs> they didn't have a chance but jim crockett promotions and david crockett and jackie crockett who is a drunk that gets locked up from time to time (laughs) and doug dillinger would get him out and that's why he got his head security job we all know that that family organization would have beat vince mcmahon's multi-million dollar conglomerate organization handily in the wrestling war and the south would have won the wrestling civil war
2: to add to chris's title wins on august 9th the invasion MVP chris canyon kicked off an episode of smackdown teaming up with DDP to take on tag team champions faruk and bradshaw beating them when test interfered and clocked bradshaw in the back of the head with the the title and dirty win or not chris canyon got to pin someone in a wwe ring for a title and i'm sure that was also very special moment for him
1: And it was special for me because he pinned Bradshaw, that bully, piece of shit. That's all I want to say there.
2: Oh, fuck off. Bradshaw's cool as
0: fuck. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. This is getting
1: ridiculous. Don't
0: get me wrong. uh, Okay, Uh, I stick up for Mongo. I'm sticking up for Bradshaw not being a bully. But sometimes, you know what, you need a fucking bully. But at the same time, too, if Bradshaw would have bullied me, I wouldn't have liked him either. But every time I've ever (laughs) interacted... It's been 50 50 with with me and Bradshaw. The few times I did extra talent,
1: 50 50, and you're giving him the side of the win.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> the last time I saw him, he was kind of cool as shit. And I feel like don't I feel, be
1: one over easily, Jake. You gotta fucking be. You know, you gotta fight and uh, make good decisions.
0: Don't worry. I I, I feel that he he has kind of. Been a bully, but sometimes you need that bully in the locker room. Because no, if you don't, don't have no, don't the, make excuses. No, you do. You fucking need that. I, fuck, I'm that bully in the locker room. Because if you that that threat of somebody who's gonna step up and be like, hey, why are you being a stupid motherfucker right now? Keep I mean- everybody in line. <laughs>
2: There's
1: that, but there's just being an abusive, annoying dickhead because you're fucking, I'm masculine and I'm a fucking
0: asshole. Oh, who told you that he was being an annoying asshole and not being a locker room police chief? Dave Meltzer? The guy who's not in the fucking locker room? <laughs> Why are you assuming that? I've heard it from so many other sources.
1: Hey, we're just splitting hairs here.
2: Steve Carino <laughs> of BMino, Jake Manning. <laughs> also, I don't know how to get, even get into this, but hey, you remember that time WWF tried to make DDP out to be some sort of sexual assaulter? you know the only noble guy to come out of this garbage industry let's heavily imply that he's trying to rape the undertaker's wife what the fuck was this
0: if i'm not mistaken that's page's idea was it it? was I, i i think i've heard that this was a suggestion that that he had
2: i can't imagine
0: now, going wrong, some of the twists and turns of all of this was like probably the, a twisted mind of a writer. But I think the the whole idea of like make me famous, I will harass you and your wife just to get your attention. I kind of think this is DDP's thing. And considering how much heat Dallas Page got during his WWE run, it was like the wrong type of heat though.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, like
0: it, 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 it would it would track if like oh no, this, I think this would be a cool idea. I mean, and then Taker's like, I think this is bullshit. But then Vince's like, oh. This is going to make Taker mad, and then Taker's going to beat the shit off Diamond Dallas Page. I like this. Where,
1: where did Diamond Dallas Page come from? Oh, WCW. WCW. <laughs> uh,
0: but originally, uh, we would have been in the NWA, and I could fuck over Jim Crocker promotions. That's what I really want to fuck over. Ted Turner's just a pawn in this game where I'm just trying to get at Jim Crocker promotions.
1: It really, there was a moment where DDP's talking about how Undertaker's wife's fear and anguish and terror turned him on. I was like, whoa, we are really Jesus doing Christ. like some fucking Richard Ramirez, Ted Bundy shit here.
2: It's like, whoa. Chris would get drugged into this angle as DDP's partner and they lose their tag belts to Taker and Kane at 01's SummerSlam in a steel cage match. And this match is just a fucking assassination and burial of these guys, specifically DDP. They get no offense. Commentary calls DDP a pervert the entire match. Canyon quits and leaves mid-match, so he kind of seems like a coward. Then Taker just destroys DDP when people on the internet, like, ew, he lost one match cleanly, so he's buried. This is a fucking burial. This is a goddamn Viking funeral. Actually, when I watched the match, they do get some moves in. It's not, they don't get zero offense. I was kind of surprised. After watching it, I was just like, how the fuck did DDP recover from this?
1: I guess it maybe you built it up for me too much, but I was like, oh, they did get some shit on. But like at the opening of the match, Canyon crawls up to the top of the cage and Kane throws him off. To start the match, Canyon bumps from the top
2: of the cage down to the mat onto his back. So uh, with DDP's career in fucking shambles, it was time for Vince to ruin Chris's life too. This is a weird downfall. On August 23rd, SmackDown, Canyon had. A phenomenal match with Kurt Angle. Chris thought it was one of his best matches, and everyone was happy with it. Turns out Vince hated it. He said Chris got too over in it, and from that point on, Chris Canyon would straight up not be having a good time.
1: God, why why did
0: Canyon have to try to look good in a match? It's really, ugh, it's really. I'll tell you, fucking why. I heard what you said, Chris. You said you wanted to be a wrestler when you saw Hulk Hogan and you should have shut the fuck up right there. (laughs) And then you said you saw Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair, (laughs) and that's what made you want to be a good professional wrestler. What do you mean? I don't put on good fucking wrestling matches? Didn't you fucking see when I booked Rene Goulet versus Pedro Morales? I was good shit right there motherfucker and you're gonna come to me with that type of nonsense you're gonna tell me that Ricky Steamboat Ric Flair a match that was highly featured on Jim Crockett promotions which we know that's all I was trying to get I didn't give a fuck about WCW all I wanted to do is put Jim Crockett out of business a family-owned business I wanted to ruin every wrestling territory especially a one attached to a goddamn family because if I do anything <laughs> I ruin fucking families and you you of all people Chris you tell the world that you wanted to be a good professional wrestling by watching nature boy rick flair the flagship of jim crockett promotions so not only am i gonna ruin flair's family i'm gonna ruin jim crockett's family i'm gonna ruin your non-existent family (laughs) shit vince
2: kenyan went on to lose his u.s title to tajiri on september 10th episode of raw this is another great match fun spots Uh, yeah really good stuff. From here, Chris began working on WWF's B-shows, which is fine. Dude's still working as a pro wrestler in a big company, but they clearly have no plans for him. Then things start to really go downhill. During a match with Jeff Hardy, Chris took a swan time, but Jeff landed a little low, clipping Chris's knee and bruising the muscle. He'd take that injured Jeez. knee into a dark match with just a wee tiny baby of a Randy Orton on October 29th, 01, when Canyon took a very standard landing from an atomic drop, but his weakened knee felled him, tearing his left ACL, which is a brutal injury for any sport, from basketball to even something fake and scripted like the UFC. you uh, ha ha. You didn't.
1: Nick has done this joke so much, he thinks that it's going <laughs> to affect me and he's right it's all fucking scripted bullshit once connor started it's all it's all in the books but uh speaking of uh he knows exactly when his acl injury happened i I think jake has talked about this before you have particularly acl history what caused your acl uh
0: i jumped off the top rope and uh i was going for a knee drop and the guy was going to miss and he rolled in instead of out and then i was gonna i was where i was gonna land on him so then i put my foot in front of me and i basically jumped off the top and i too was a little weakened because i had basically traveled all the way through the night before and, and didn't didn't get a lot of rest and was in the ring and i was kind of tired uh, but i was wrestling a six-man tag so i was fine and then i jumped off the top rope and landed awkwardly Bam. from the top rope and that in rest of my acl But i've never got it fixed i was, still, I was <laughs> about to bring that up i was like isn't it still fucked up yeah ugh I'm, I'm a little cautious about it, but then, of course, my boss is like, God damn it, I need you to set up a fucking ring in this high school, okay? What, you, you think you're too fucking good to carry a wrestling ring with a fucking torn ACL yeah. up a ramp backwards and forwards? What kind of shit is this? I'm trying to ruin your non-existent goddamn family. Like I said, the, the, my, my Michael B. Kiki impersonation is the same as my Vince McMahon impersonation.
2: So Chris's injury would more or less cause him to miss the rest of the invasion angle, only appearing once at O1 Survivor Series. At Survivor Series, the Alliance took on the WWF with the losers leaving town. The Alliance team lost, so Canyon Kayfabe was fired along with the rest of the guys, but this actually allowed Chris to recover from ACL surgery. In May 2002, Canyon was cleared to compete and was sent to Ohio Valley Wrestling. There, he met back up with his old pal Jim Cornette and even worked with a very young and green John Cena. He had a match in Heartland Wrestling Association. What the fuck is that?
0: Heartland Wrestling was also a developmental territory as well. Wow. There was a time when it was OVW and HWA. Like when they where, got where we, was HWA? Uh, Cincinnati, Les Georgia. Thatcher. Basically, when. They got all of these WCW guys. They they had to do something with them. Um, also, too, some of the guys that they brought over from WCW were still kind of like power plant guys. So they'd only really had, even though they had TV time, they only had like maybe two or three years under their belt. So obviously you want to kind of refine that so you're not going to put these people on TV. So you need as many, that's why they had two developmental territories at the time Mm -hmm. they had Les Thatcher HWA and then of course OVW OVW was kind of the flagship of that HWA was kind of like the side thing for a while but it did they did have some really awesome wrestlers like I think they had um, Umaga and and Rosie were there Mm -hmm. and the Haas brothers I think like the Jimmy Yangs and um, some of the some a lot of the cruiserweights ended up in HWA. I think even like Bill Demont did a stint there. I think Tommy Dreamer even went to Heartland Wrestling there. So it was kind of like they had an equal amount of guys there, and then they had OVW guys, the guys that kind of like started through the system, like your John Cena's and Randy Orton's and. Bashams and whoever coming through. Batista, Brock Lesnar, like they had their crew over there, and they had this crew over here, and it was just kind of this, like, all right, guys that are coming down rehabbing injuries, and WCW guys we don't know what to do with. Let's let's intermix them here. Let's bring down your your Mark Henrys and your Big Shows. It was very an interesting time and kind of bounce around, and also too like. And HWA it was set up pretty similar. They had a building, but then they also run, like, spot shows on the weekends. So kind of give guys opportunities to work two or three times a week, but kind of gotcha. based out of a, a central location so they can spend a lot of time in the gym, work on their body, get ready to be put on TV. But, like, what OVW was, HWA was the same exact thing, but I think it was more of a situation of they started cutting a lot of those guys. Like, all right, these guys aren't developing but you know, for time. Okay, do we really need to keep? Fifty guys in our developmental system. Like fast forward to now, to 2019 and 2020, they just signed four random people every month now, and they're <laughs> trying to f- see how many people they fit in the performance center. And like, yeah, we we could definitely have 250 people in our developmental system. That's something we can definitely do. We can definitely keep all those contracts. Where back in the HWA and OVW era, they're probably like, oh do we really need 30 or 40 people in development <laughs> system?" Like they're asking those questions. But now they're like, "Nope, we can have 250 people just in a developmental system."
2: It was in heartland that things took another bad turn for chris he was working a match against lance k july 13th in a literal barn chris had a cut and when he was tossed outside into all the barn grossness his cut got infected putting him in the hospital where he lost 32 pounds after making another recovery chris returned to ovw in october 2002 and remained there for uh, around four months while continuing to work dark matches for SmackDown and Raw throughout late 2002 and early 03. And here's where things really start going south. Rumors of Chris being gay were everywhere, the internet, backstage. So Chris pitched an idea of a gay character, which was shot down. And fair enough, this was 2003, society wasn't there yet, WWE definitely wasn't there yet. I don't think Vince would have put out a gay gimmick that would have been positive and empowering. Vince, however, decided to fuck with Canyon in true Vince fashion on a February 13, 2003 episode of SmackDown. Let's paint a picture for exactly where WWF was at the time. Right before the segment we're about to talk about, they had Tori Wilson listen to Joe Francis pitch his Girls Gun Wild pay-per-view. <laughs> You're Joe gone. Francis, who is guilty of tax invasion, bribery, false imprisonment, assaulting, causing great bodily injury, dissuading a witness, record-keeping violation, and has pleaded no contest to child abuse and prostitution. And that's only what they could prove in a court of <laughs> law. <laughs> Around the 39-minute mark on the February 13th episode of SmackDown, they sent Chris out as a present from The Big Show to The Undertaker. Chris was dressed as boy George and singing. Do you really want to hurt me? The WWE has since edited out him singing and dubbed over a Canyon promo. So they at least know they did something wrong since they're attempting to cover up their blatant use of homophobia to send Taker into a rage. What they didn't edit out was the severe beating Chris got by the Undertaker punctuated by one of the loudest chair shots I've ever heard in my life. Chris said that he felt like it was a message. We know you're gay and we don't want you here. There is no hyperbole on
1: what Nick said about the chair shot. He hits him in the back twice uh with chair shots and those are bad, but then he follows it up with the one to the head is frightening as shit. I like hadn't seen it before, I cringe so bad. It's one of those things when you're that age you're
0: like, yeah, holy
1: shit, but now when you're just old and things hurt, you're like, oh
0: fuck, man. And let me posit this piece of information. I don't think they edited out the Boy George part where he's saying, do you really want to hurt me? because of like the, the gay undertones, I think they just edited it out because they don't own the rights to the song. Could that I mean, also just be an
1: easy excuse?
0: No, I mean, you, there, there are certain like laws as far as like songwriting and the, them appearing. Like when it originally airs, you can do it, but not yeah, to try to... Because then you gotta like pay licensing agreement and stuff like that. So it's not like, oh, we realize we fucked up, so let's take this out. No, 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 they're like, no, we would have wanted that, ideally, as is we're not going to pay the rights to Culture Club.
1: It's one of those things. Like I mean, it could be that, but then it's like it's just so easy to say it's that.
2: I see the arguments for both, for sure. Following this, Chris truly hit rock bottom, career in shambles, and mental health unchecked. Chris attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of sleeping pills, September fourteenth, two thousand three. It's detailed in the prologue of his book. And as someone who knows how this story ends, and as someone who has stared into that black hole myself, it is fucking accurate and tremendously sad to read. On February 9th, 2004, after facing two major injuries and not being used in any major storylines, Canyon was officially released from his contract. Bruce Pritchard said that he wanted to send him to OVW to be a trainer because he was very talented in the ring. Jim Ross also put Chris over saying that he was a good in-ring talent and would have been an asset to any locker room, but at the end of the day, Vince didn't want him, so good luck with your future endeavors.
0: Well, and we've had a lot of fun poking fun at like Vince and WWE, and, you know, we've been very broad strokes with how wwe's policy towards gay people are at this moment in time but what we have to remember is pat patterson is a integral part of wwe's company history
1: can you just say that's like i got a black friend yeah. that's
0: that that was the next point i was getting to okay and so just making sure it's out there th- th- thank you for making it sound like i didn't have that point <laughs> but that was where i was going so thank you for showing that you're more woke than me micah so but i'm really okay. upset you didn't call me a libtard No, it's okay uh but th- that is that's the thing like it's one of those things that like, oh, we got one it, or a situation of like it just—I don't know. It's—it's it's so you don't know what people's real intents are, but also at the same time too. I also, you know, I don't want to like paint WWE as this this demonstrative company that everybody do, does very blindly. People, you could you can make your own narratives. It, that might not have been an issue. There might have been so sometimes in wrestling. You're like, oh, this guy doesn't like me because of this. When really they don't like you because of this, and this is a personality trait that you're blind to. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would have been with Chris, but I also don't want to paint it like, oh, well, because Chris was gay, that's why they treated him like shit, and they're like they didn't have a spot for him, and we're not even going to make him a fucking trainer. When in fact, they would have loved to have Pat Patterson to fulfill a similar role like that. In any, and any Pat has come and gone whenever his heart delight He can leave for a little bit, come back for a little bit. It doesn't make a difference. His, his opinion is always valued and respected, and. People have known about him being gay for ho- however long, right? So um, don't want to paint that that hate monger brush with WWE. But goddamn, they're holding a paintbrush in their hand most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Whether there's pa- whether there's hate on that paintbrush or not, they they they've got a shed full of brushes. And just look at their treatment of women over the years so uh, just to be fair and just and and to be the unbiased and partisan as much as possible you know we don't want to turn this into like a oh WWE hates gays uh, hated gay people in 2004 episode but at the same time too probably not the best behavior but at the same time too look at everybody's behavior in 2004 so someone like chris being openly gay in 2020 i think wwe would wrap their arms around somebody like that but then you look at just something they did recently on with the whole lana angle and and Liv morgan so do they really know i don't know you could form your own opinion but i i I want to believe the best in them but haven't shown me a lot over the years of 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 getting it right much like most companies like (laughs) chick-fil-a
1: I mean, Jake makes a good point. It's it, We also need to remember, as much as I love Canyon and as much as I was endeared by him and all his words and who he was, he had a lot of mental health problems and, I mean, who knows how he formed the narrative to make it appear i mean i'm sure there was a lot of backlash and homophobic stuff involved but i mean who knows how much of that was created and how much was real it's just it, it no one has, it's hard to fucking know but yeah as jake said lots of paintbrushes
0: yeah and you know mental health like mental health can appear in different ways like there's yeah. a lot of people that are like oh this guy's an asshole and then sometimes like i get to know those people I'm like mm, he's not an asshole he's he's got something mentally going on right now yeah. and whatever that is and why that manifests into this behavior is it it's an issue he needs to work through. So, there could have been some of that going on when the release of all this and why he didn't get the trainer spot at OVW and all these places, which I'm sure he would have loved and appreciated. Um, also, too, he was a WCW guy. We know how Vince feels yep. about WCW guys. So,
2: <laughs> Chris retired from wrestling August 28th, 2004, after losing a retirement match to Diamond Dallas Page in Wayne, New Jersey. But, like most and or all pro wrestling retirements, it wouldn't last. In July 2005, he hit the indies. One show of note was December 16th at PWG Astonishing Xmas Canyon Face PWG Champion Joey Ryan. Is this the first time we've brought up Joey or PWG as part of someone's story?
0: Not in context of like this person was involved in PWG. Yeah, Yeah, because I I mean... PWG's roster doesn't read like uh, Survivor Series 1989, where you look at the card and you're like, oh, most of these guys are dead. <laughs> so it's probably why we don't uh, discuss it a lot on here. If you look at yeah. people that have appeared on... Uh, it's good P- we don't. Yeah, it's yeah. good that we don't. And, and, and it's kind of astonishing considering some of the stuff that's happened in the PWG <laughs> ring where somebody could have yeah. easily died in that moment when we saw them. Totally. So, um, but there was some magic to that receipt of building. You could pull some stuff off that doesn't happen in reality anywhere else. But this uh, was, I believe, the Jewish Community Center, so it wasn't Reseda. But I do remember this happening. And actually, they had Matt Jackson come out dressed as Mortis. (laughs) So that's a little footnote in history that that was Matt Jackson.
1: I don't know if Nick was going to get to it or whatever. But yeah, that's the end of the match where somebody comes out as Mortis to distract Canyon and he gets the roll-up for the easy one, two, three.
0: But I I think a lot of this happened because Canyon had a, a good friendship with Joey Ryan. And you know, Canyon, he just—he was great at befriending some very talented individuals. Yep. Like when Canyon was put in charge of hiring cruiserweights in WCW, uh, j- j- I mean, he, he was—he was like hire ten cruiserweights. Here's just a couple of them: uh, Christian York, Joy Matthews, Shane Helms, Shannon Moore, Jamie Noble, uh, Tony Mamaluke, I think Jimmy Yang, and I think there was a couple others.
1: And he got Kidman into WCW back then. Yeah, yeah. so
0: like. Anybody in wrestling, any type of wrestling product knowledge, and they told you, go hire 10 guys. You mean to tell me that six of those guys are going to have better careers than any of those six? I mean, that's a 60% success rate right there, and I'm probably forgetting a couple. So we might even be talking about an 80 or 90% success rate when it comes to being an eye of fucking talent. And these were all people that were, you know, essentially friends of his because of his relationship with the Hardy Boys and he ended up hiring, you know, Shannon and uh, Shane because of that, because of his relationship through the Hardys and knowing them and then being aware of Omega and all of that. So, like, Gannon knew. He knew talent, knew how to befriend it, wanted to be around it, wanted to be surrounded by good wrestlers, like just speaks volume of who he was as, as somebody who could have been like an agent or an eye for talent or working with talent. I mean taking somebody like David Arquette, an actor or Jay Leno or Mongo, or Kevin Green and turning them into wrestlers like having something like that around wrestling uh, invaluable and I don't the the potential, the upside of just the, the data that we have as him as an evaluator of talent and a trainer of talent speaks volumes of what he could could have done.
2: Another indie match of note on March 5th, 2006, Kenyon had a match against DDP where he came out to the crowd and DDP super cool right there beside him, showing him some love and support and for a Florida crowd in 2006, pretty damn supportive there's some booze at one point, but then Canyon kind of puts over these, the
1: first openly gay athlete or whatever. And then they, they start to cheer for him and DDP really ramps him up. And DDP said, I don't care if you're straight, gay, black, yellow, green, whatever. You always be my brother. And they embrace. And I cried alone in my room watching
0: YouTube. And what's sad is you have to say it like that. You know what I'm saying? That was a world where like, I just want to let you know, no matter what, I still, it's like,
1: it's like, do you have to say that? Yeah, like,
0: there's a little bit of, of that, but there is. Just, I don't know. I just wish. I just wish us as human beings get the fuck out of our own way and just whatever you do with whoever in your own time is is whatever. You're like, like I'm. It's just fucking stupid.
1: It's just how empty is your life that these other people being in love in their life and doing what they want behind their doors that's what you want to devote your attention to like is your life that fucking empty that that's that's the
2: feeling i always have with people who get pissed off about that canyon once again retired on april 5th 2007 this time for good Later that year, Kenyon appeared on the CNN special Death Grip Inside Pro Wrestling that aired in November, and Chris has some very haunting comments on it, and uh, even brings up his earlier suicide attempt. Chris would also go on, he'd do some shoots, like the RF shoot we mentioned up front. RF video, I know we're talking to your favorite wrestler, but do you mind if I run this circular saw? He'd also do (laughs) one other interview, which... We have to put over Micah. I hope you at least did the the superhuman fuck this shit before putting yourself through this unimaginable pain. Would you like to talk about your experiences? There's a roundtable discussion with Canyon, Missy Hyatt,
1: and Iron Sheik. And the first 35 minutes is legitimately some of the fucking toughest thing I have ever watched in my life missy hyatt is so fucking stupid and ignorant it really i had to watch it in stages i was sending nick updates the whole time because i didn't believe it to canyon's face missy hyatt tells him you chose to be gay no 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 you chose to be gay and then she tells him homosexuality shouldn't have been taken out of the big dsm psychiatry mental disorder book I don't know if she's trying to be a heel or try to get heat, but when she's telling Canyon straight to his face like she's talking about her normal day, it's, it's, I hate getting so fucking pissed off about this stuff because it's just like, why should I devote so much anger and attention? But it's just, it's just like when you see someone so fucking annoying and stupid combined with being so self righteous, it just like, it, it, it does. It triggers the shit out of me. Um, what else? Um, she says she loves Hitler in passing, she has great appreciation for Hitler. She makes a uh, Holocaust denial. Talking points. Her uh, direct quote is, "I'm far right. I'm a national socialist. Look up what a national socialist is. It's a fucking Nazi." Um, she used to do uh, reenactments as a Nazi uh, nurse. Canyon challenges her on being a Christian and also admiring Hitler and what he did. And her way of justifying that is the phrase, "All is fair in love and war." <laughs> It blew me away. At a certain point, I was delirious and just kind of in awe. It's like, is she really like this? Is she just putting on an act? But it's just this small, casual conversation. And it, there's nothing on the internet about this. And it's just, I hate to plug it, but go on High Spots or somehow find Canyon, The Sheik, and Missy Hyatt's Roundtable Discussion... And I, am just, I was blown away by the shit that came out of her fucking mouth. Maybe she's changed her views and she's a different person. But I'm guessing when you're 47 and you have these dumb cunt ideas, I'm guessing you're not going to change them. I think it's just, I'm just so mad at her, at her stupidity and her trying to be so right and telling Canyon why he's so wrong and why his homosexuality is something he should basically be ashamed of. And it's just, I think I just have to fucking stop because I'm legitimately upset again. Nick, back to you.
2: All right, here's where shit gets, gets rough. Between leaving the love of his life behind and struggling to keep a schedule of medication and therapy, Chris was headed down a dark path. In Chris's book, he said, I am a person who lives life on their own terms, and I am prepared to meet death following the same principles. And that leaves only one answer for me, which I do not recommend to anybody else, ending my own life. Every couple of days, I stare at the pill bottles in my medicine cabinet, sometimes for what feels like hours. I can hear them calling. And on April 2nd, 2010, Chris would answer that call. His brother Ken would walk into Chris's apartment in Sunnyside, Queens, New York to find a note, an empty pill bottle, and Chris's body. Chris Canyon was just 40 years old. The part, just the one little sentence reading about what
1: happened is just he left a note to his family apologizing for what he did. And just, it's so crazy how the English language and words, just a little bit with context can just wreck you. And reading that one sentence just fucking destroyed me.
0: Well, that speaks to who Chris was, and uh, in the interview where he talks about being gay, one of his big concerns of, like, coming out was he was worried how his friends would be viewed, like Kidman or Shane Helms, and and thinking about, like, oh, if I come out as gay and they they know I'm friends with this guy, they might think that this guy's gay, and then he's going to deal with all that, and I don't want them to deal with it, like... Thinking about other people other than himself, it just—it's tough. And for him to go through that and to apologize to his family for everything, and thinking of that moment, and you know, being so depressed—that's the thing that pulls you away from that. You know, like, like I—I I always tell people the thing. You know, I get—I get bummed out. I get depressed. I, I get very dark. I've had to have Zane Riley take a pill bottle out of my fucking house before, but I don't think I would ever get to that point because my grandfather committed suicide and I know the other side of that like what that does to a family so I think when I ever get that dark there's always a moment where I stop and realize I can't go down that road because I know I've seen the damage where sometimes if you don't have a family member that committed suicide you don't know how how much damage how much of a hole that rips into people and and even people that are not even young enough to remember it. Like the effect that it has had on me, uh, when it happened, when I was like one, two years old and it had an effect on me and understanding that and recognizing that. And, um, that's the thing that's pulled me away. And I think Chris recognized the damage that it would cause and was in so much pain mentally that he went ahead and did it. And that, that's how much pain he was in. And I don't want anybody in that type of pain.
2: In the preface of Wrestling Reality, Ryan Clark said about Chris's death, This isn't Canyon's legacy. It isn't about the last lost battle, but the fight itself. The fight against depression and the fight to be honest about who you are. And with that, we will end the tragic story of Chris Canyon.
0: Um, like, like I've always requested when we do episodes, I was like, "Can we just please do somebody I've at least met, so I have some sort of touch tone or some sort of weird story?" And when you suggested Canyon, I was like, Ugh, "Another guy I've never met before." But then all of a sudden, like, like a split second later, I go, "Oh wait a minute, I did meet Canyon, hmm. and it was it's the weirdest story ever, but it speaks to exactly who Chris is, and that's why I'm saving it at this the, the final thoughts part." Very early in my career working for highspots.com, one of the things that Michael would make me do is he would make me take a wrestling ring down to Florida and do ring rentals there so we could sell merch. And then also, too, he thought that because we'd bring the wrestling ring down there that I could bully my way onto a wrestling show. Now, granted, these wrestling shows they was booked me for, like AJ Styles was wrestling the third match. So like uh, like one of them was the Jeff Peterson Cup and it had like Chris Sabin, PD Williams, AJ Styles, Davey Richards, like every hot indie guy in 2005. Jamie Noble was there and you know we were there to... Sell merch and then bring the ring, and at that moment in time, I'd only set up a wrestling ring like maybe two or three times, and I was kind of naive on how tight the ropes should be, and because George South would be like, "I'll oh, just tighten them a little bit and go out there and just do it," and it's whatever, and, and anybody that wants them super tight is is dumb, and I kind of subscribe to that same thing. So uh, where I was selling merch was right around the corner from where the arena was, and then I had these people come up like, "Hey man, uh, you need to tighten the ropes," and I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and I just yeah, yeah, yeah add them. And um, I, and then they kept coming, like, you need really to really tie the ropes. And they, yeah, whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, finally, like, you need to go now. Like, somebody was super pissed off, and I came around the corner, and they were spaghetti stringed. <laughs> and, like, and I know AJ had just wrestled. I know AJ was such a fucking stickler for ropes, and I, I remember he would come out during intermissions of some shows and test out the ropes <laughs> oh, wow. in front of the crowd, <laughs> which is, like, just ridiculous. So I, I, I tightened the ropes the best I possibly could I didn't know what I was doing I was unaware I was getting all the blame And it was very embarrassing That all these guys that kind of had done something And like um, here I had all these ropes Like super fucking loose uh, Luckily it was a two day event And the second day of the Peterson Cup in 2005 Was far better than the first So if you go back and watch the, the Peterson Cup from 2005 You would see super loose ropes And that's uh, the man scout Jake Manning's fault <laughs> And so ever since that day, I always was very particular about tightening the ropes and that's that's where that came from. Um, But I was also very insecure about it. That insecurity created uh, me to be very good at. I think I'm as good as anybody that you're going to find as far as tightening the ropes because of that mistake. But um, I would continue to go down for Full Impact Pro, shows that had like CM Punk, Cole Cabana, Brian Kendrick everybody who was Samoa Joe and I'm taking the ring down there and of course I'm like oh I got to make sure these ropes are fucking tight and I'd be insecure about it because I you know I didn't know how tight they should be I don't have a clue and just so happens at one of the full impact pro shows like the the next one after this whole Jeff Peterson debacle Brian Kendrick was there with Chris Canyon and Canyon was just riding with brian kenrick he just wanted to go to wrestling shows in florida <laughs> he's like oh, sure, I'll, ch- I'll check out some indie talent like he's just like <laughs> he's he's a year removed from being you know fired from wwe um at this time he is he announced his retirement he just wants to go to a wrestling show and he's just sitting in the crowd and before people get in i'm just double checking the ropes doing all this And, like, I kind of hit him. Like, they're okay, but, like, I thought they were okay, the Peters Cup. So, I don't know. I'm insecure. And for whatever fucking reason, in my fucking nervousness, I asked Chris Canyon... To hit the fucking ropes and see if they were okay, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I figured because in my mind, in my nervous like mind, I was like, well, he's wrestled for everybody. Yeah. If they're, if they're good and he says they're good, then nobody's gonna come to me and 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 hate me like they hated me like the last time I was down here, and I'll never get. Ken was like, I didn't expect though to hit the fucking ropes, bro. <laughs> but the thing is cool. He could told me fuck off or told me to get somebody else. Yeah. Cause I think Brian Kendrick was even standing right there. I didn't ask Brian Kendrick, and Brian would have done it because like Brian's a sweet individual as well. But like Ken is like, oh, I don't expect to hit the ropes, and he just got up and did it. Like just like another person, like just asked, and like I said, looking at the timeline, he was retired. This is like I asked a retired wrestler to get in there and test the ropes. Like it'd be like me seeing Ric Flair do an autograph signing. So like hey, you want to test the ropes and see if they're okay? Like it's just it, it's absurd and it's ridiculous. But he just did it. And and I'll never forget. It. It's like, yeah, they're good, man. Maybe I tied on below little hair. Like, yeah, you doing? And he even said, you're doing a good job, man. And I'll never like that nervousness. that I felt about the, like, setting up the ropes, like, kind of left that day. I was like, fuck yeah, I tightened up good <laughs> enough for Chris Canyon, you know. Like, and and I remember like he w- he was nice to me the rest of the weekend because obviously this weird thing. And he was like, hey man, how you doing? How's your day? You know, he was just super cool. Like he even like stopped by the merch table, and, like like looked looked what we had, and just like was just super fucking nice and and treated me with respect when a lot of those other guys that you know in the locker room like looked down on their nose at me like who the fuck are you like you're just the fucking ring guy or you're just like this guy from high spots that's selling dvds over here in a corner like and just kind of like some people were cool um you know most of them were but some of them were kind of wanted to be a dick but here's chris Cannon who's done just about everything it was it was nice to me and and in my nervous energy, I asked him to hit the ring ropes, and he was like, "All right, bro, no problem." You know, and I think that just speaks to Cannon. Like even in retirement, he's like, "Yeah, sure, I'd like that. no problem. I'll get in the ring." Like super cool. Just like like I said before, like had an eye for talent, had the ability and the patience to train people from nothing to having a match. The wrestling world misses. Chris Cannon there's there's uh, there's a deficit there is definitely a spot and a place for him and the fact that he is not occupying that space is tragic and sad because wrestling would be better uh with him in it and hopefully anybody who thinks about taking their own life in professional wrestling I hope they come to that same realization
2: Chris was I think he was like 20 years too early in and out of the ring like he had so many cool moves so many things about him would have made him a big indie darling today he seemed to truly be just a fan of pro wrestling even after it kind of chewed him up and spit him back out like he still loved it just like jake said he's still going to shows after he retired i'm really glad he got to do it like i'm glad he got to like you know get that experience be on tv it's real cool I for real always thought the Mortis and Glacier stuff was cool. You know, I think it's remembered by history as failing, but that was none of that. It was because of Chris Kenyon's talent or work ethic. Diving into Chris's career, he was so good. Inside the ropes, his selling, the way he thought about moves and spots, everything was just top tier elite stuff. You know, today there there's still plenty of homophobic assholes out there wasting oxygen, but society is, is way more accepting and loving of the LGBT community, even since 2010, especially if you live in the right city or state. We've also started to erase a lot of the stigma of uh, surrounding depression and therapy and medication. I just, if he just could have pushed through a few more years, like, I, I think he could have found peace he he really could have found his spot in life he'd be such an asset as a trainer but more importantly he really could have been a he could have been a role model for an up-and-coming gay wrestler I mean even as supportive and open-minded and progressive as us as straight people want to be and we want to help we we can't even start to imagine the gay experience Chris would have been really important as a guy who had their same fears he had their same struggles and a lot of cases probably had their same exact experiences and he really could have been a beacon and a support system for you know up-and-coming gay wrestlers and it's it's a sad sad story and I hope he found peace on the other side
1: um first off I just want to say two things I missed just because I want to put Canyon over as much as I can and the things he's Done. Watch the Shark Boy versus Canyon Dark match from I think Velocity or something. The crowd treats it like it's a main event pay per view, and it's those two dudes going back and forth. It, it no commentary, but it is fun as hell. Um, look up his Hooven to Guerrero match. He does a move I have never ever 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 seen. Indie stuff, whatever. It is a weird pump handle throw with Huventud on the outside, on the apron, and Canyon's inside, he pump handles him over his own body into a stun gun where he throats him on the ropes and he falls backwards. I don't know, it was it was a testament to just the ingenuity and the imagination and the ambition that Canyon had in the ring. All the stuff he went for, all the stuff he tried. It just for a young wrestling fan, you know, I mean, you just see something you never seen and you're popping like hell, man. And watching that and then seeing the shoot interview, And hearing canyon talking about his thousand tape wrestling collection back in the day and it it was it made my heart swell more because i was that nerd i didn't have that many but i had them up there and it makes perfect sense with canyon watching japan tapes and trying new stuff he just loved the art form and all the creative violent things that went with it i just i can't say enough to watch his shoot watch his shoot watch his shoot there's a great rib story with him and Kurt Hennig and Shawn Michaels that we couldn't get into. I am definitely gonna do this when I have the money. There is a uh, WCW Monday Nitro where he's with Raven and he's wearing an airbrush shirt as a Canyon, giving Santa Claus the flatliner, and I'm gonna get a still image of that and make some Myrtle Beach airbrusher do that at some point. I will have that. Canyon liked having his matches planned out ahead of time because he was worried about the matches looking good on TV but he wishes he could have called more in the ring. He said his anxiety was a bitch. His quote was, I wish I was more confident in my career. I would have gone out there more and winged it. One thing that really got to me with Canyon is just his hearing it from DDP mention it and Raven just like, where they just casually mention his sadness and how fucking sad he was. And there's a moment in the shoot where they ask him, why didn't you come out sooner? He came out at the age of 36. And Canyon just flat up says, cause I was a pussy and he talked about if he would have had some gay role models he could have came out more and been more comfortable in his own skin and done more and gone out there and been happier and he talked about he couldn't he didn't really share his life with anyone because he was scared of that despite how successful he got in wrestling and it's just his fucking sadness man i mean me jake nick we've touched on it but we've all have r- serious bouts with depression the, the scary shit is is like if i've had 10 percent. If, if that, of what Canyon went through to reach the level to what he did, that 10% scared the fucking shit out of me. So I can't imagine what the 100% felt to make Canyon do what he did. I remember hearing Canyon died. I can't remember if it immediately came out that he committed suicide. I think it was, but I can't be for sure. I was downstairs in the house I still live in. It was a huge house party, 20, 30 people. I remember being drunk at like 2 a.m., and texting my friend Mitch, best friend in the world, and seeing the news that Canyon committed suicide and like fucking weeping, drunk, like a total mess. Just like, because me and Mitch were huge Canyon marks. And it's just like, shit, not only he died, he killed himself. And it's just, it's those things that just makes you really take notice of what the fuck. The Missy Hyatt stuff got me so upset. It's not like, oh, she's not woke. Oh, she needs to understand and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, have fucking empathy for people. When it comes down to it, just be empathetic. What if you were in their position? How would you feel? Would you appreciate that? Treat people how you want to be treated. That is the basis, just fucking empathy. That is the only thing that needs to come across. <laughs> I'm, I'm so fucked up. Canyon really fucking affected me, man. Uh, read his book, buy his book, please hear his story he was a troubled dude but he had a lot of heart so many people put him over not just as a wrestler but as a human being and just in closing canyon is another one that thought the man- montreal screw job was a work so fuck it now i do too right.
2: this has been chris canyon's 10 bell pod we have to give a big thank you to everyone donating to our patreon this is the last couple of months of been the best we've ever done on patreon and we have to give a few shout outs to new patrons
0: yeah uh obviously you guys realize that we get buck wild on patreon especially the q a episodes i think that's getting in there and also too we're pulling out matches that i'm maybe uh less than proud of or proud of or can't see the light of day any other day so the patreon uh, has got all kinds of cool stuff and the people that are benefiting from that are martin hamill tam uh tam i'm sorry you i you're gonna have to tell me how i say your name <laughs> and next time i see you at a pwx show uh me and tam go way back she she usually wears a golden lovers t-shirt to pwx I a on uh, one time tam's super fucking awesome hell yeah super cool so you know thank you so much for getting on the patreon tam i can't thank you enough also thank you to uh Gilletta pang i think that's got Giletta? Thank you for that. Uh, Sorry I I failed you. But don't worry, I failed somebody who I met in real life. Angeletta, if I have met you in real life, I'm sorry I failed you too. Uh, (laughs) Put him on the list. But somebody who I'm not going to fail is uh, Jennifer McGee. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for donating on Patreon. Also, Jennifer, let your brother Willie McGee know that I enjoyed looking at his baseball card growing up for the St. Louis Cardinals. Wow. So. Um, anyways thank you to everybody that's donated on Patreon and make sure you go to Patreon backslash frontslash 10 Pod to donate if you want in on this and all the cool benefits of Q&A episodes, gimmick episodes Man Scout puts over episodes and some rare deep cuts on Man Scout matches and other such things
2: you can also help us out for free, leave us a review specifically on Apple or just tell a friend, that's always cool uh, come talk to us on social media at Tim Bell Pot. There's a timbellpot.com where you can hear all the episodes. Micah's Jay Trotter 27 on Twitter. I'm Nicolessa on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find Jake at man scout Manning on all these social medias. Who's better than Canyon.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Man Scout, Jake Manning. Thank you very much for listening to 10 Bell Pod. I can't thank you guys enough for being subscribers and people who leave reviews, but also too, big, big thank you to people who are our patrons on Patreon. Now, some of you may be hearing that like, wait a minute, I'm not a, a patron on a Patreon for you guys. And you might be like, hey, I want to do that. I, wanna, and I want an extra thank you. I left a review. I subscribe, but I want an extra thank you from the Man Scout Jake Manning because that third thank you doesn't apply to you unless you are a patron on our Patreon page. Make sure you check it out at patreon.com slash 10 bellpod pod.